0: Hello and welcome back to another episode. A day later uh, of the Unfounded Podcast, everyone. Thank you for coming back and joining us so soon after uh, the last podcast. Uh, this is going to be uh, what May twenty sixth here. Uh, so me and Bethany just got done last night with the podcast that I'm sure you just listened to, and uh, we were uh, here actually to fill you in a little bit. We uh, our our living conditions are changing a little bit, and uh, Bethany has been living with one of her friends for a couple years now, and so. Uh, we're going to be living uh, at that place, at the place they've been living at for a little bit while he goes out of town uh, and kind of taking care of the place. And so uh, we've been kind of in the same vicinity for a while, getting to know each other. And uh, we were all talking about the podcast the other night and thought that maybe it would be a good idea if we brought three people on the podcast at one time. So I have a big treat for you guys tonight. Uh, I have not only my girlfriend, Bethany, my girlfriend and my partner, Bethany, uh, but I also have her good friend and my good friend, Jessen. And just before we get into it uh, any further, I'm going to clarify his name. That is Jessen. Uh, that's Jesson. That's J E S S O N, not Justin, because uh, it's a very easy name to confuse. Okay. But uh, I have Jesson and Bethany here tonight, and I'd like to have them introduce themselves a little bit again. Uh, Bethany, go ahead. Hi. <laughs> I guess that's a little awkward way to actually introduce somebody, but uh, <laughs> Jesson if you want to say something, uh, go ahead. Hola. Hola. I like that. Okay. So, uh, the reason that we're coming on tonight is, uh, initially I was going to just talk with Jess and we were going to kind of chat over some military uh, history. He's also a military veteran. So, uh, we thought we'd be coming on here and chat together about that, but then we had the idea to do a, a three-way conversation. And so, um, we're going to kind of switch gears and talk about a little deeper topic than that. Uh, actually two, uh, those being consciousness and the state of reality. Now, what does that mean, right? Consciousness and the state of reality. Uh, Well, we kind of want to define what consciousness is, uh, if we can, in this talk. And then we also want to see how that plays into the nature of reality, how that plays into your perspective, how you perceive things, how you take in the world around you. Uh, So, without further ado, like we usually do, uh, we all three of us actually have gathered a quote on consciousness or the nature of reality. And I think uh, we're going to start off with one of us, reading the quotes to get the conversation sparked um does anybody kind of feel the urge to start out actually you know what before we do that i had an idea I, and i think that's a good idea too bethany was just pointing it uh, you know what before we go any further let me explain what's going on here the wacky situation in which we're recording oh no, so
1: I don't have mine.
0: we are we are we are recording a house but we have kind of odd mic setup. So I have a mic that's not very good to be used while you're in the same room as other mics. So we have Jessen, poor Jessen, sitting in the hallway outside of the room right now by himself. (laughs) And we have me and Bethany in another room, uh, but we're all recording uh, right now. So it's a very unique experience. And Jessen was actually just saying earlier that uh, it might be a good kind of separation to have for this kind of talk, for the talk of consciousness, to maybe have uh, somebody that's not in direct line of sight in the conversation it's a it is an interesting way to engage with somebody kind of take out every other stimulus and only only have one sense you can rely on really um it's interesting anyway so that's kind of the goofy nature in which we're recording this but also the idea that i had that i was interested in kind of exploring with you guys uh, right at the beginning is like we were doing in last episode pulling some cards or doing something uh, with a tool like a spiritual tool to kind of help guide the podcast and Uh, One that popped out to me me right before when we were intention setting in this episode uh, was a deck called Spiritual AF. Uh, And it is 90 inspirational cards for people who fucking needs some inspiration and that's son the t- on the front of the box there so obviously that I'm that's- glad I know now know
2: <laughs> I can say fuck
1: um, right because he didn't say he didn't uh, specify what af meant
0: i didn't and yeah. who knows what that means right no, you, i was you sitting do, out here in the hallway that thinking no i do no i'm say sarcastic fuck? oh gotcha <laughs> <laughs> no yes uh, you are allowed to say fuck in the episode i can mark it as explicit so uh, feel free to kind of talk openly and that's really uh, i'm glad you brought that up because that is a point of this show is to kind of feel free to explore Whatever idea you you feel comes to your head, because it's not just you fashioning ideas; it's actually you channeling ideas from the greater the greater forces around you, right? So I want you to feel comfortable to allow that to happen. Uh, whoever comes on the show in the future or now. So that being said, I'm gonna pull a card here. Uh, I'm gonna do it kind of randomly, how I would do if I was doing a reading with tarot cards or something like that. I'll shuffle them a little bit.
1: those are your cards the ones that just fell out
0: and as i was shuffling that's a good point um sometimes cards will just jump out sometimes you know there'll be a card that kind of sticks out or doesn't go in properly or just feels like it it wants to stay in your hand this time two cards popped out as i was shuffling right there and let's see what they say and these are intentions for the the podcast and they might these are very direct so it might be a little hard to understand how they apply initially but i think it'll be curious to see how the podcast ends let's see what this one first this first one is it says drink water and mind your own fucking business and then the second one things get harder before you level up know that
1: i think both of those will apply based off of the topics. I, I mean, I can see how the influence is. You think so? You yeah. say,
0: <laughs> I, as soon as I said that, Bethany was like smiling and like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I can't really see it yet, but you know, there might be something that connects here as we go. I'm sure there will be actually. I say might, there will be. Uh, anyway, Justin, do you have any thoughts on those two cards? Do you have any, any things, uh, thoughts on the intentions before we get started? Uh, it, it,
2: what just popped into my head
0: when, the what was the one about uh, drinking water? Drinking, uh, it says drink water
2: and mind your own fucking business. Uh, there's a, a comedian I like, and he had a, a tweet he did. And uh, I just looked it up real quick. It's, you'll grow up not really knowing if you deserve love, but one day you'll meet someone who loves you. And You'll be able to accept yourself. Then once you really get to know you, once they really get to know you, they'll find out you're unbearable and leave. <laughs> but the and important it- thing to, is to stay hydrated. Oh, and that's the end of it? Yeah, that's... You know... it's and just when you said, just mind your business and drink water, it made me think of that. You know, that's, I don't know if it applies to the situation, but it, it popped into my head.
0: I think it does in a weird way, um, and maybe an odd way, that uh, it, it is odd that it, they bring up water, right, in the card that I pulled like that. But um, honestly, water is a really fundamental thing to not only... Uh, your avatar with the world around us. Right. And it's a conductor as well. Um, it's a conductor of energy. And so, uh, I've found as through my spiritual journey that whenever I need to cleanse myself, cleanse my, my energy, um, water is a very useful source in that, but it's also a good amplifier. Uh, if you're trying to focus on something, if you have your certain intent, uh, that you're trying to, to maybe manifest, um, water is a good place to, to do that kind of manifestation. Uh, and the reason I bring it up is because, uh, none of us, I mean, none of us drink enough water. Um, it's very hard to stay hydrated properly. And I would recommend just from the get-go, uh, it's good advice for myself that we all drink more
1: water. Go ahead. Well, you're actually kind of like adding to how it applies mm-hmm. by pointing out how water can work in a metaphysical way. Exactly. Um, first of all, it, when you like if you get into the bath, even if it has salt and it's used for detoxing, um, It also enhances your intuition. And so to me, uh, consciousness is a form of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I guess that could be an enhanced intuition of sorts. Or on the opposite side, it could be um, being more aware of your current surroundings, like actually seeing the things that are going on around people, um, including yourself, that maybe most people perceive differently because they're distracted by their phone or their uh. thoughts going on in their head, etc. Well. Water helps clear your head. It helps relax your body. It does so many things that can actually, in a sense, ground a person and enhance their intuition at the same time.
2: Yes, I, I think also, it's really... Inter- oh, go ahead. Oh, well, just uh, you said that water is an excellent insu- uh, conductor, but in fact, it is a really good insulator for electricity, with pure water. But it suspends many conductors. It's very good at conducting when it's suspending something. So it itself is not, but it creates an environment where conduction does occur.
0: That's really interesting. So it's actually like the, the, the subparticles, the particles
2: themselves that are suspended that conduct the electricity, not the water itself. Yeah, the water, pure water is is an insulator. That makes sense. Cause it does conduct heat, though. I mean, there are other things, but just as far as an electrical thing.
0: That does not make a lot of sense, though so so especially like like what you were saying bethany when you were talking at the end there about salt right adding salt you don't always need to do that but that salt itself is kind of a substrate that you could add to water in which you can conduct those energies or you can clear those energies i i don't know the specific attributes of salt but i know that when i've used it it's helped me clear uh kind of not only my physical pain and kind of tension but kind of the spiritual and emotional tension that i've had and
1: well, it's still a mineral, and yeah. some of the like the stones that people use to clear their energy are salt-based stones, and that's why you can't submerge them into the water, mm-hmm. um, or they'll they'll kind of like disintegrate, they'll they'll, they'll disappear basically. Um, so, in that way, it is helping amplify or charge in some some sort of way by clearing again clearing the energy so that you can enhance your intuition or or even uh, I have been. I've had moments where I've been taking a bath and unintentionally I've like seen, seen things in my mind and like zoned, zoned into it. I have as well. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I recognized very, very quickly that being in or around water, um, enhanced all of that. And I could ask questions and get, Mm -hmm. get answers. Um, and it is a lot of talking to myself. But I mean, I also, like you've mentioned in your other podcast, I think that is a part of being conscious and aware is being able to have a communication with yourself mm. or your higher self or God or spirit of the universe or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Um,
0: That's yeah. a really interesting way to start off. I like because you've, in a couple times you've already started the conversation off a little bit with consciousness and keyed on it there. Uh, like, what is it? And I, I can already see that, I really like the way you're going with it with it that it is actually a fundamentally uh, spiritual thing um, in some way that it, like you were just describing that consciousness, if it is an internal conversation of sorts of you talking to yourself. and if you are, in some ways, the universe, then you are kind of having a dialogue with spirits or something greater. And that is the fundamental thing that makes a consciousness is what I think you're getting to, right?
1: Well, I was asking myself. What is consciousness? And I said, awareness. And I said, well, to be aware of what? Like to be aware of yourself, your surroundings, and how aware of your surroundings. For example, I apologize. We um, we as humans cannot pick up all forms of light. We can't see certain things that maybe other animals or even vibrations. We can't pick all of that stuff up. Um, I lost my train of thought. Do you know where I'm going with that?
0: So um, I don't. I Do I, Justin? Thought.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like uh, people talk about dogs being colorblind. Dogs don't see the same spectrum of light that we do. So we're like, oh, look at these dogs. They, they're not as involved. They don't know. But uh, Falcons can see in ultraviolet. So they can see things that we cannot see. It's all a question of what your biology will, will sense or perceive. And dogs can hear uh, tones and, and sounds that we can't hear. I- so there's so many things that are happening around us every day. Like, things that can be perceived by others that cannot be perceived by us. Yeah, young people can uh, perceive mm-hmm. a higher wavelength of sound than older people. That's yeah. Really, yeah. So, there are things that are happening, things that are there to be seen, to be perceived, be mm-hmm. understood, that just our bodies won't. Acknowledge through the natural senses, yeah, which
1: is why I think uh, people have a hard time understanding how ants or bees and other forms of life communicate because it's an awareness that we can't connect to, or we don't understand how to connect to at least.
0: That's, I've done an episode on that, I've talked about that specifically about ants that I used to watch, like watching ants, um, and and kind of used to wonder, uh, you know, because at the surface level, we treat them as if they're this thing that's really primitive, but when you look at an ant colony. Uh, it's very easy to to see that it's a very complex structure. Not only is it a complex physical structure, but there's a hierarchy behind that, a uh, very complex hierarchy, which means that there's a social dynamic at play mm-hmm. there, which means that there's there's a consciousness working there at play. And uh, that then kind of demands that you ask yourself, okay, well, is it that it's, there are like higher and lower forms of consciousness? Or is it just that consciousness itself is a fundamental thing? That that consciousness is something like a fundamental thing that changes depending on the form in which it is mm-hmm. made and manifested in. I, what I ended, <laughs> excuse me. What I ended up getting to in that episode was something like consciousness. Uh, consciousness is perspective, and that literally everything is conscious, and even in some form. So that you have to act. That's why That's why I think a lot of people talk about the earth itself as being conscious and the trees being conscious and the grass and everything like that. But you have to extend that even to the physical things that you wouldn't th- really think were conscious, like rocks or even things that we've made, like technology. Consciousness is something like an ordered state through which you can perceive the universe.
2: Well, it's like uh, uh, Beth and I were talking the other day about uh, people saying that they have high standards. And that that doesn't make any sense. What they have is unique standards. Their standards something that are only applied to them, so they see people as not really uh, living up to them. Yeah. But uh, another thought I have, and what you were saying, is uh, speaking of, like, uh, thinking of higher and lower levels of consciousness, uh, we as people tend to empathize more with things that are more like us. Yeah. If you go to a, a an abattoir or a slaughterhouse for cows, there's a certain way that that works. But if you go to a fishing boat, they pull a bunch of fish out of the ocean and drop them on a deck and let them suffocate. If you put a bunch of cows into a net and drown them, people be up in arms. But we identify with cows because they're more like us. Fish are different, so we don't empathize with them as well.
0: No, that's a really good point, actually, because empathy. Well, and where does empathy stem from? We can take it from there too, because is that a consci- Is that a? Is that a? Is that a tangent? Uh, is that a corollary of consciousness? Does it, is, is it an extension of it in some way? Empathy itself.
2: Well, I think it's a, an ability to identify. I mean, it's basically what it comes down to, is because if something is so much unlike you that you can't understand its perception of the world then you don't really empathize with it.
0: Does it exist though? Is it possible to not understand or empathize with something? Anything, really, if you're willing to, I think is the question, right? So it's like, it's like, it's, here's the best example. And this is the one that Jordan Peterson, a lot of, I talk about a lot uses. He did a class on it. It's something like, if you had to think about, um, the Nazi Germany, a lot of people like to think about Nazi Germany and villainize Nazi Germany. You know, Because in, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of easy way, easy things to point out that were are uh, in the way we define evil, evil that Nazi Germany did, Hitler himself, right, as a figure. And so when we do that, when we villainize something, that either way, whether it feels justified or not, what we do is kind of separate ourselves or compartmentalize ourselves in this safe way from those things saying that we, we can't ever do that. We can't ever be that thing. But the purpose of this class was to show people that that's not true. Fundamentally, at a psychological level, it's not true that if you were part of Nazi Germany it's more likely that you would not only have been, uh, joining in, in what was going on, but you probably would have been one of the people running the prisons that you could have been one of the people running the gas chambers. Uh, and there was a good likelihood that you would have been, That those people aren't that much different than you. It's something like, uh, shades, uh, degrees from a difference from you. Uh, and that the dangerous thing and the scary thing about that is the way that you become those things is not recognize it. Uh, and so that, that, the weird thing that I think we need to recognize uh, everybody, humanity in general, and the ways you just described all the horrible ways that we treat the animals and other living things is to recognize that we can empathize with them we have to be willing to though uh, and that's a process of, of being vulnerable in ourselves and seeing why we don't want to something like that, that's what I think at least
1: you can see, You can see, if you're paying attention if you're aware, if you're conscious if you're actually paying attention to your surroundings enough, so I guess if you want to it is a choice i suppose you can see uh, in your own fish tank in the one that justin has in his room actually where he got that big placo fish that's what it's called right justin a placo
2: yeah it's, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's a it's a type of um catfish right right yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so uh, when <clears throat> when we got that it came from uh, a friend of mine's house and they were you know kind of just clean cleaning house and they didn't want this fish tank and they honestly they, they didn't take very good care of it it was really gross it was very disturbing um, and when we got the tank with the fish that they had taken the fish out and i don't think they meant any harm i really genuinely don't think that they're bad people i don't i just think that they just didn't take the time to do the research to understand what they were dealing with so they said that they were going to bring the fish to us they put it in a bucket and they put it in the back of their truck and then they drove around for probably longer than they should before they brought it over to the house so the fish were traumatized because they were stuck in this this bucket and they'd gone through cold and hot temperatures which had changed and that's really difficult for a fish to handle so honestly most of the fish died the only fish that were really alive by the end of it were, were basically an angel fish in the placo but the angel fish didn't survive much longer he was he was dying and you could you could clearly see the placo and and its, its emotions were showing as it was hovering over. It actually made me cry as it was hovering over the angelfish, watching the angelfish fight for its life. Yeah. And it was so hard to witness. But Justin ended up taking that fish and putting it into a new tank and gave it this wonderful home. It's big and it's got all these new friends. And this fish went from staying in one spot and never moving to going all over the place you see him like literally moving and flipping his fins in different ways he will hop in and out of the water he's very social <laughs> we put lucy the bearded dragon up against the take and the two of them followed each other around they were in inter- you could see them interacting with each other they're from two totally different worlds yeah they never met each other and yet when they when they did they interacted
0: it's a perfect example yeah of from <clears throat> from from outside of the human perspective and if you want to see it, you can actually see examples of this in, in nature all the time. Uh, there's weird examples you'll see uh, kind of, I, I, I'm getting images of like National Geographic and stuff, of, but of, of odd species, predator species, befriending prey species. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, usually it's something, it's something. Uh, usually it's a, it's a female or a mother something like that that finds a fawn or one of those kind of uh, 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 prey type animals that has lost their mother or something like that. And so you'll you'll find in these certain situations, these specific situations, you can find uh, remarkable amounts of empathy, something like the animal overcoming its own nature in nature, which is really something because it really speaks to kind of what the human being can do that really what makes, I think what makes us different at some level is that we have the choice to do that. Uh, and it really begs the question, does the animal have the choice to do that? That's one of the things I was, was going to get at earlier. And, you know, before... We- <clears throat> before we go any further we're getting really into it really quick aren't we (laughs) I think do you guys want to go over the other card at all or did you guys have any thoughts on things get harder before you level up know that
2: wait what just happened
0: so I wanted to, before we moved on, I wanted to double check because we were getting really into the consciousness conversation and I yeah, really yeah. want to continue that, but I don't think we're going to lose the ideas. We have plenty of quotes to go over and stuff. I, I wanted to see what you thought about this other card that we pulled at the beginning of the episode. Uh, things get harder before you level up. I know that.
1: I'd like to kind of stick to the first one and finish going over that, if okay, that's okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I, I, ha- I do have another example that okay. I'd like to give before we go over that. But um, I was thinking about the other part of the first card that we were... Uh,
0: see, drink water and mind your own fucking business.
1: Mind your own fucking business as far as consciousness goes. I mean, the advice is to kind of like stay in your own world, which is your own reality. Stay in your lane. Yeah, stay in your lane, your own reality. And I, and I think that that's good advice for the most part. But at the same part, if you're going to be more consciously aware, I suppose, and understand other people, then without like invading their privacy or trying to like get too involved in whatever is going on in their life you can still be aware like pay attention to their body language the tone of their voice you know consider the things that you see the habits that they have and whether or not you think that those are habits that you want to be around etc yeah not just to provide like boundaries for yourself but also so that again you're more aware and I think that is also a part of awareness is knowing how to protect yourself yeah. or being aware that you need to protect yourself in some sort of way. Yeah,
0: that's the big thing is that there's anything to protect
2: yourself from a
1: lot also, of times, right? right.
2: Also having the, the, the concept that just because someone has something that doesn't serve you and isn't something that needs, that you want to have around you doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just is something that's for you. True. It's and- that whole thing, like I was saying with the, uh, the you don't have high standards, you have unique standards. It's this idea people get very uh, superior around people who are doing something that they don't like or don't want around them but it's not that it's bad it's just not for you
0: true and i I think it's also you know i don't like to bring up time but there's a certain aspect because we live it like i said in this physical reality that you have to bring up time in that context it's like yes maybe it's not it's not for you and maybe it's just not for you now too. Yeah. Right. there's yeah, divine timing. Everybody's at different stages. Everybody's going through different things. And when I say stages, I don't mean stages in terms of a hierarchy or a value comparison. I'm saying everybody's going through their own shit at their own time. You know what I mean? And so, uh, whatever choices or whatever decisions or whatever things people like to keep around them or people like, they like to keep around them, they're all products or representations of them in that moment. And you're right. We have no right or place as people to judge those decisions and then to kind of project that judgment on other people in the form of kind of, uh, uh, ignoring them or, or belittling them or whatever, whatever form it takes. Right. Uh,
1: I, I am, um, I have one more example, uh, going back to the consciousness thing. Yeah. Um, relating to how we treat things, um, that are not similar to us as if they don't have consciousness or they're not aware of us or, or, or whatever. Um, when I was in school, for hypnosis and life coaching. I can't remember which course it was specifically, but I, I think I told you this, uh, had also told you about this. I don't remember if Jessen, I don't know if Jessen remembers this <laughs> as well, but in the Upside of Stress, I believe is the name of the book, there is, there is a little part about um, a study where a group of people come into a room and, And they pull some pieces of paper out of a hat and uh, all of them are blank except for one. And nobody knows who the person is, but one person is labeled as the killer, right? Mm -hmm. So then everybody goes outside. Still nobody knows who the killer is. Each person comes in one by one and interacts with this plant that's on the table. But only one person actually takes a leaf off of the plant, like attacks it. So they put the plant up to a polygraph machine, I think is what it's called, Mm -hmm. and um, then brought each person back into the room after the the plant had been, like, attacked, and uh, the plant wouldn't respond or do anything. The polygraph didn't move when each individual came in up until the person who had actually attacked the plant Came in, and the polygraph machine started to go up and down. It started to move, okay. so the plant yeah. could recognize yeah. what it attacked. It, mm-hmm. so it, so that would that would go to argue that it is conscious, it's yes. aware. It has its awareness of other things and awareness of itself. And uh, I think it was Justin who was actually the one who told me that when. A plant, especially grass or when grass, when they are being when it's being mowed, it'll release this sweet smell, and that is to let yeah. all the other blades of grass know that they're about to be attacked. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they have no way to do anything about it, but hey, you're about to be attacked. Just letting you know.
2: Well, it, maybe they can do something about it because I mean they oh, they have uh, circulation and chlorophyll and stuff moves through them. I mean, it could be that they're uh, letting the other blades of grass know you should shut down your your flow of uh chlorophyll and things like that to the upper extremities because we're getting chopped up or up here oh that's a good point Hmm. yeah maybe there it's it's a way that they do survive yeah because i mean yeah a plant can't run away so it wouldn't develop a warning system to let the other plants know to run away because it knows it can't do that Hmm. so it's warning the other plant to do something that will aid it in the uh in the situation that it's about to be in, so it reminds me of another story
0: uh, I read at some point. I think it was just on Google News, but it was it was from like <clears throat> Africa somewhere. There's a certain type of of tree that uh, it does a similar kind of thing, where it sends out some kind of signal. I don't know if it's if it's through scent or what it is, but um, the tree, when it's it, it's a favorite bite of an- elephants to eat, and so when the herds of elephants are moving around, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, they will actually, the tree will actually send out the signal to other trees, and the tree will change its color, uh, or something to that effect, where the animal, like the elephant, doesn't know it's the same thing. Uh, so it is like an active for- defense mechanism mm-hmm. against uh, against the other. Um, and now I don't know how effective that is, you know, because obviously the elephants eat still. So uh, and elephants are pretty pretty smart animals too, from what we know. So uh, it's just a really interesting um, consciousness itself is a very deep. Topic, deep subject. As, as we can all tell, obviously, we dove right into it. We're already thirty minutes in, and we're still at the beginning.
2: Um, go ahead. Real quick. Speaking of elephants and like just us understanding other creatures and things like that, I elephants are terrified of bees, and they actually have a specific sound that people have recorded and understand that they make when bees are around. Uh, I, I, you just said you were talking about elephants, so it popped into my head. That, oh no! Yeah, that, yeah. It, we d- we kind of think of language as something that's in our our wheelhouse and no one else's. But but elephants. I mean, they may not have the word bee, but they have a sound that they will make when there are bees around because they they really don't like bees. <laughs> yeah, and that is so funny
0: because it's literally like the smallest thing on the continent and the biggest thing on the continent, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one yeah, of the smallest
2: well, things. They've got a couple of soft spots that bees have figured out, so they <laughs> they, they don't like it. It is interesting, it, you know. And so, just for the listeners,
0: that the little uh, inter- interruptions you hear, my dog Dixie, she likes to whine every once in a while. Um, we have a lot of animals in the house, actually, and it's an interesting segue in what we're talking about. Um, and it's a good way that you can recognize it in your own home excuse me, own homes, uh, this, this kind of compassion or empathy or uh, this interaction, this, this certain type of speech that uh, other animals have that is not necessarily verbal, but uh, layered in different ways in the other senses. And so um, if you pay attention to the animal, animals you have, you'll notice they express themselves in the same way you do, uh, the same emo- emotions excuse me, that you do. Uh, they just do it in kind of a different language. Uh, a good example of that is the lizard, uh, the bee, actually, excuse me, bearded dragon uh, that Bethany has uh, that uh, is named Lucy and when I, I, I first met Bethany I had kind of a fear of reptiles in general I'd never really felt affection for a reptile never felt a reason to feel affection towards one towards them I actually had a certain type of kind of hatred towards them honestly um, <clears throat> which I don't like I'm not comfortable saying now Excuse me for the interruptions. I have like a frog in my throat, too, right now. Uh, Doesn't mind
2: amphibians.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, as we're talking about reptiles. Uh, Anyway, uh, but as I got to know Bethany, um, she introduced me to Lucy. And the first time I held Lucy, I remember being pretty nervous. But what I realized is that... Lucy has all the same emotions that every other animal I've ever, I've ever, you know, engaged with has, but he expresses them in very different ways. Uh, and that once I held Lucy, I could feel very subtle ways in which he would respond that when I put my hand on him, he would kind of close his eyes and, and I I would, I would kind of brush his head. He would, he would have this affection that he would show. I could feel his heartbeat His his breathing would slow and he kind of rest his, his head on my shoulder. Um, these little kind of signs or things that that show me that hey uh, I like this and not only do I like this um, I like you because I like this you know and there's something like an identification of I'm a thing that likes this in that you know and that's a, that's a that's a reptiles are one of the species that because we view them as a very, you know, uh primitive thing in the way we view ants where we allow ourselves to be really vicious and cruel to them. Yeah. And they're they're feeling and and they're feeling animals just like every other thing in the universe and when you allow yourself to open up to them what you realize is you've been closing yourself self to a whole uh section of experience that you you've never had before.
1: When we uh when we went to the store and we saw Justin and I were there that day. Um, When we saw Lucy before he was Lucy in the tank Mm -hmm. uh, with all the other little bearded dragons, he was the only one that like ran up to the tank and was like scratching at it and he wanted it out. He wanted out, and I don't, and they do that, but he did it almost as though he wanted me to take him out. So I kind of, I kind of, it like piqued my interest in him. I didn't know I wanted a bearded dragon until I, until I had a little baby bearded dragon trying to get to me out of the tank. (laughs) And then. I, even when I got it, got it, when I got him, I was intimidated by him. I was scared. I think more so of hurting him because I was scared. I was scared that like, if he moved too fast, I'd like jump and out of fear and he'd like run out of my, it's, it's, a, a it's somebody eating. Okay. One of the animals eating. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: You guys said earlier to... that I was alone. I'm not alone. I've got two dogs and a cat out. here. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to have animal noises in the background as we talk it's
1: about animals. It's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when, uh, When I when I brought Lucy back, I held him in my hands, and I wasn't sure exactly what to do with him, but I was scared of him like jumping out of my hand. And I had thought a lot about like vibrations, and he's a baby, so I was like, you know what babies like? They like it when their mothers sing to them. So I did. I'm Justin can tell you this. I'm pretty sure he heard it. I was actually singing to Lucy when he was a little baby in my hand and he took his head and kind of like snuggled it like nudged it up against my thumb because it was itty bitty at the time it was so tiny and closed his eyes and just like relaxed like he was comfy he recognized the fact that it was singing to him or at least the tones comfort him in some sort of way but he responded to it and that was like one of the first um uh I don't know. Conversations is one of the first. Yeah. Bonding moments. Yeah, bonding moments. Which is
0: a form of conversation. Yeah, you're right, and that's like, that's what I was
2: talking about. That it's a conversation of sorts.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, just just speaking of animals that we generally don't empathize with and have a, a, an understanding with. I mean, like you can go on YouTube and look at the, an excited cuttlefish. No, not a cuttlefish. Pufferfish, excited mm-hmm. pufferfish. <laughs> and there's this pufferfish this guy in Australia has in an aquarium. And like he'll hold up a uh, like a, a cra- he feeds them crap like this piece of crap, and you can see this puffer fish just get excited. It's so happy. It's about to get <laughs> fed. It looks like a dog that you just held a treat up in front of. <laughs> exactly. And it's so excited. It's just it's, waiting, it's wagging his tail, like uh, my fish. I give them uh, bloodworms. I've got a pile of fish now. But I give them bloodworms, <laughs> and I come in and I, <laughs> like if I lift up that top, the top of the, the tank, they they start swirling around, and I was like, oh, they remember there's food. They're like, yeah, and they're excited. They're not just like they know in the morning they get the little flakes, or not the flakes, the little bits. They get these these dry food, and then in the evening they get the bloodworms, and you can tell the difference in their reaction because they know in the morning they're just getting the dried food, they're just like subsisting, but in the evening they get the thing they really like. And their, their whole demeanor is different. Like, you can tell they have emotions. I mean, they're excited. They're happy. They're like, oh, yeah, we're getting this stuff now.
0: You know, and I think that's a really good place to kind of, kind of start from. As I was saying, we're kind of just diving in here to consciousness, but that's a good place that we can all agree on, I think, right now to start from, uh, to base the conversation in, is is that idea that everything, every animal that we see, every every living creature uh, has these base emotions like this, that they display in one form of another and that you can communicate to them kind of in the way that you display them emotion. Uh, and so starting with that, I think we can move on from these cards that we had here. Uh, we're going to kind of head towards starting uh, continuing the podcast the same way that we usually start it uh, with some quotes. And I think the best uh, person to start this would actually be Jessen. Um, do you have your quote ready, Jessen that, yep, that you got had right consciousness or
2: reality? Yeah, it's uh, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, the, ha- the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. The happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts.
0: You know, Marcus Aurelius, I brought up quite a bit in this podcast. It's funny that that's the person that you chose to bring on the podcast the first time he came on. Um, because he's been highly influential to me. You know, he's a... For many, for the listeners, uh, Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic. He's one of the first Stoics, not the original Stoic, but one of the first Stoics, one of the most well-known at least. And uh, he's a very unique individual because he was a uh, he was a philosopher, but he was also a king. You know, he was an emperor. He was an emperor of Rome. Uh, and you can read uh, the dialogues uh, of Marcus Aurelius, basically his daily journal, of the experiences that he went through. And what's so remarkable about those writings is that you can hear. Uh, that he isn't different than you and me That even thousands of years ago The emperor of Rome was experiencing The same kind of struggle every day that you and me Experience every struggle And struggle with every day uh, And I think that's why he has so much authority In the uh, philosophical Community and why he's a good person To quote uh, Justin That quote for me is really important um, You know The the quality of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts Right, Is that, that's how it goes yeah 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 um because it really is true um now the the one thing I would say is the quality of your thoughts uh, defining uh, assigning a quality a quality to a thought is a weird thing in the way that I define thinking sometimes uh the reason I say that is because um I guess I don't really know and this is a good place a question to ask both of you uh how you perceive this uh, last night, me and Bethany were talking about um. Or at least I think I brought up in that conversation something like if you meditate, uh, if you if you at least find whatever uh, gets you into a state of kind of uh, calm where you've quieted out all of the chaos around you and uh, your mind is as quiet as it can be, at least what you'll notice is there's still something there, right? There's still this stream. There's still this kind of happening going on um, and that if you watch it for long enough, you'll realize that you're watching it, not creating it. Uh, And so then it begs the question, okay, if the fundamental thing that I'm experiencing is something like a happening, a stream, and I'm watching it, then I'm not creating what I usually associate as thoughts inside of my head. I'm not creating them in the way I think. I'm not fashioning them. What I'm actually doing is interpreting whether I want to accept what I'm being presented or not. So you really are choosing up or down, left or right, yes or no. But what you're doing is choosing whether you align with the stream or not. That's at least the way that I've thought about it. What are your guys' thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think we have multiple sides to ourselves, think and feel. So when that uh, choice is being presented, it could be that two sides of yourself is asking the same question so that you could see which side of yourself you want to listen Mm -hmm. to. I also think and feel that there are guides that present us with tests. Yeah. You know, and so that it it would still be choice. And the thought... I guess would still be your own because you're willing to accept a thought, um, even if it's even if it's something you hurt because uh, it's your
0: own once you accept it, kind of a thing right. yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that way of conceiving it because it is something like you're still pulling it from a consciousness stream. Yeah, but it, it, you don't really have your uh, your name
2: on it until you decide to accept it to yourself something like that mm-hmm. this um, might be a little bit of a swerve off of what you're saying but it just popped in my head as we we're talking about it. Is uh, if you're struggling with a yes or no or a one or two or this or that decision take a coin assign it and flip it in your hand and then catch it and then don't look at the coin but think what you wanted what you're hoping that the, the coin will say yeah that fuck I fucking love that.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yes. Because that's one way you can train your, it's a really good way to train your intuition and to trust it. Uh, The hard thing is to actually act on what you get, right? Like actually act on what you get hurt, what you hear in your mind, because you will hear it. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the funny thing is, is uh, I did a whole episode. I keep on bringing up my old episodes. I'm sorry about that. Apologies. But uh, we keep on keying on certain things that I had an episode about talking to yourself. Uh, and in that episode, I kind of brought up this conception, uh, that we have about talking to yourself that we've associated with something like insanity. You know, we, when we see it in other people, we make fun of it usually, or we at least kind of push it away as something that if we're too close to that insanity, we'll catch it. Uh, and I think one of the things that we need to be careful, I just lost my train of thought when I thought about that. What, um... I did. Somebody, somebody take it up for me. Well, sorry. Yeah, I just, what I, you I, were
2: just saying about it, the, the concern about being too close uh, this this uh, completely off the topic now, but the, the concern that you'll catch insanity, I think quite often when people kind of, they, they resonate with someone's issues or problems or things that oh, are going yes. wrong with them. Yeah. They will push that away and see that as the negative because a, I have a similar thought but I am able to control it, so I'm better than that person because I'm not controlling it. Also, yeah. if I validate that thought in my mind, then I've been fighting to fu- I've been fighting to control it, but if I'm validating it in their life, then I have to validate it in my life, and I've been trying to push it down.
0: And you also have to recognize that there's a conversation you need to have with yourself. Yeah, yeah, which is that which is exactly what I was I was on the there. Is that is that you don't want to re- we don't want to recognize in general that we need to talk to ourselves because we we like to think that it's something that we like to associate it with something that other people do who are insane. Right. So what we'll, what we'll do is kind of hide us our, hide ourselves from that internal conversation. And even though it's still going on, which is funny, you know, it's like, if you ever, if you ever really present this in, in like, I I know I can't think of the specific example, but I know I've brought it up in, in like certain social scenarios when I've been around people that I've, I've said kind of as a joke, like I talk to myself all the time and I always remember that people, the way they react is like, it's funny because they, they look at me and, and kind of like, it's a half recognition, half fear. Yeah, yeah. So it's something like that. Like, oh, I it, same it's not, it's same kind of thing that happens when somebody tells a joke, but they don't know whether to laugh or or, or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like a, so they feel the social pull. Should I should I say something or not? Should I say, yeah, I do that, too, or not? I see everybody do that. I've always seen that in people. and And so I wonder if that is something like the initial thing you need to do. If you want to try to kind of expand yourself or really, uh, maybe if, if what people are looking for is fill in the, the void they're feeling in their life, you know, it's like,
2: okay, talk to yourself. Maybe you'll figure out what you, you want. If you it's do that, time, you know. People thinking, sitting there going, oh, look at that guy. He's talking to himself. I'm glad I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, whether it's internal or external, that, that's what's happening.
1: So I, um my my quote. Yeah. um kind of... It it doesn't directly speak about insanity, but it's what my interpretation of um, the opposite of intuition was in this quote specifically. Uh, Interesting. So it's again from Carl Jung and it says uh, the underlying... It says the underlying primary psychic reality is so inconceivably complex that it can be grasped only at the farthest reach of intuition. So the farthest reach of intuition to me is insanity Yeah. Um, and then but very dimly that is why it needs symbols hmm. so I started doing I, I, I refer to myself as a spiritual decoder mm-hmm. I, I say that I speak the language of the universe which is symbols yeah. and that was one of the things that I discovered was that in order for me to actually be more aware and conscious of everything going on around me and pay attention to my intuition I had to go completely insane and I did. I went insane. I actually asked Justin if I was schizophrenic and he was, he was one of the people that kept me from, uh, believing that I was crazy because I had recognized that I was crazy. So I was consciously aware <laughs> that something was quote unquote wrong with me. And I was doing many things like talking to myself and seeing things and being paranoid. And it was, it was a lot to go through, but I think that it was important because it's what started to point out. Um, what I believe my guides were speaking to me, the numerology stuff, um, the synchronicities, it's what led me to go talk to a psychic that I didn't think was a real or a genuine psychic anyways. Like it gave me, it opened the door for me to really understand, um, that for a long time I had perceiving my world as something dark and evil and that everyone is out to get me. And I was cursed. And when I took the time to you know, reflect on myself, do that shot of work, and figure out that I had more to do with that than I thought I did. It, it opened up my reality. Yeah. changed my reality into a much different reality for sure. Yes.
2: And, <laughs> and just for the record, I was also Googling the symptoms of schizophrenia. Okay.
0: So here's an interesting. So that's it. I like that we got onto insanity because. Um, both me and Bethany, this is this has been something that I think we've kind of connected on uh, our experience, at least separately, um, when we were kind of isolated and going through our own things. Um, but and I guess maybe yours wasn't as was related to being physically isolated as much, right? Um, but. Necessarily,
1: not not in the recent, not at that moment when I went insane, but yeah. I have experienced. You, you've being,
0: experienced that type of, of insanity, yes.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I meant the recluse like being reclusive being forced kind of to be alone.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I guess when I when I say that reclusive type of insanity is that it's not always that way, but it's something like if you never experienced it, it'll make you feel like you're going insane the first time you do. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the the, the reason I like that you brought that up because. Um, one of the things that I've experienced uh, is through my through my spiritual awakening, through the last probably, I'd say, a, let's say three years or four years, um, but really all of my life is I've, I've battled what I would consider something like a general depression, but also um, what I would identify as a myriad of different mental disorders at different points in time in my life. And now why I say it that way is because... I say this with a disclaimer. I'm not a doctor or physician and I'm not giving medical advice to anybody. I don't think any of us are in that capacity right now. What we're doing is trying to give you what we know and what works for us. And if you want to take that, you can. If you want to leave it, that's fine as well. Uh, But what I've experienced is something like the forms of insanity. Many of them that we've defined and classified as mental illness are actually just different stages of the awakening process Mm -hmm. and the ways you're perceiving what Bethany is describing, the patterns that are deeper and fundamental to the universe. And when you first see them, you're gonna feel like you're going insane. That's what it is, is like you said, it fundamentally is that. So the insanity isn't bad, I guess, in the way we're defining it. Go ahead.
1: Well, going with what you're saying, that was kind of one of the things that led me to understand that I was going through that because my previous experience was actually with a soldier and I've told you guys about him, my cousin, who um, was labeled or diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And bipolar disorder, actually, mm-hmm. as well, um, which, by the way, when we got that reading, and she and she said uh, labeled it as a mental illness. I mean, who? was uh, It was interesting, yes, because
0: just to fill you in, we went, we had a psychic reading ourselves, and then the psychic reading, she pulled out that I may have had some history of mental illness and kind of specified it as, as you probably have this type of mental illness. And, and then the mental... She, I, I had the same kind of uh, objection, but I didn't want to voice it at the time. I think that Bethany is voicing right now.
1: Well, well because I, I started to understand that I don't really cons- I don't I mean, I'm not arguing that mental illness doesn't exist. I'm yeah. not saying that, first of all. But I am saying that I don't think that each time those symptoms pop up that the only answer is that somebody has a mental disorder. Because... When my cousin um, came back from the military and just like to leave it short and non-extreme, he was struggling with PTSD. He went to the VA. He asked for help. They said that there wasn't a whole lot that they could do for him. He had been praying. He had been reading the Bible. He had been trying really hard to figure out what was quote unquote wrong with him. And uh, he was displaying really, really interesting um, symptoms that, yeah, definitely made him seem like he was not only bipolar, but schizophrenic, paranoid, had a lot of issues going on. Um, so when I went through the near-death experience and kind of had thought about the things that he said, there were times where I remembered him saying, um, like, uh, ha. Uh, ha subliminal messages and I don't know if at the time he knew he was doing that but there were certain things that he would say that suddenly when something would happen to me I would key in on that memory and be like oh now I get it I understand what's happening so I started to pick that up and I recognized that what I believe he was experiencing was an awakening at the time but because there wasn't any resources for him to say like hey what you need to do is understand this is initiation of sorts for you to kind of reach enlightenment yeah. so that you can learn to forgive yourself, practice self-love, understand why things happen the way that they happen, and move on. Yeah. Take what you've learned and help somebody else. And he couldn't get to that point because he couldn't forgive himself for the terrible things that he was doing. Yeah. And and when he would do them, he'd want to slip away. He'd want to let go. His inner child would want to hide. And I feel like occasionally something would step in for him. Yeah. And that's a sorts of possession.
0: Yeah, that is, I think, what we call a possession. Right. Um, and that's an interesting way segue to get into it too. Is is that a lot of the things that we define as insanity too, that we see in other people, is actually that mm-hmm. too. Now, when I say a possession, oh. again, I want to kind of clarify. I'm not talking about exorcist possession when I'm talking about this. While I do think that that's something that can happen to a certain degree if you have maybe the certain type of energy manifest. I don't know. Uh, the what I'm talking about is that there's energies at play all around you that you are connected to the universe intricately and that any of those energies at any time can take you over if you're not willing to embody the avatar that you have properly something like that uh, when you say that I don't want this when you think those things when you kind of re, uh, reiterate those things inside yourself what you're telling anything else around you any other energy is like hey open house Mm -hmm. and they can and it allows those kind of energies to slip into you and when you notice if you watch yourself when you're in those states what you'll notice is you'll start to slip and vacillate and smack into different kind of energies kind of like schizophrenia kind of like you know what I mean these different types of uh, of insanities right of of mental illnesses now again like Bethany says word of caution I'm not saying that mental illness doesn't exist I don't know I'm not a doctor what I am saying is in my experience with the mental illness I've experienced uh, I don't it's not a fundamental thing I was born with. And I truly fundamentally believe that. And I think that's the message that a lot of people need to hear. You're not broken. Nobody broke you and you're not broken. You never were. And you aren't right now. Well, I guess that
2: is the fundamental secret. Well, this is a thought is like uh, like you were saying, like, uh, like you said, and like Bethany said about when someone said there was mental illness, it was, there was, there was a reaction of uh, disagreement or anger, but if someone said you have the flu, you wouldn't get upset about it. You're like, oh, I got the flu. It's like you're saying there, there are external forces that are moving there, mm-hmm. their influences our energies. And yeah. that's a big problem. Like in our society in general, and just how our, our perception, like it's a perception of consciousness consciousness is supposed to be a thing that's there it's just it's something that happens it's like the air around us which... but no it's it's there there are things acting upon it your your emotions your feelings your your biology your your mm-hmm. uh endorphins your uh your your hormones and things like that they affect how you perceive things so there's this this stigma of mental illness you say oh he's or the word insanity the word insanity is very negative people see it as a negative thing but quite often it's a thing that happens to someone and something that can be cured or controlled or understood and so like people like you say like someone says to you you're mentally ill your first reaction is to defend yourself against an accusation whereas if someone says you have the flu you say oh shit I should deal with that and that's that's the thing is like it it has a negative stigma that people need to get over If people just ignore well venereal disease there are a lot of diseases that you can catch from multiple different uh, uh, avenues like you can just sit Mm -hmm. down on something and get it or you can there are certain things that people's body produces that are also a venereal disease and then people will Hide that disease because they have a, a stigma against it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: It's just, it's a, it's like, the I, I'm The stigma itself I'm, I'm, is I'm what causes of, the propagation. No, I get yeah. what you're getting at, yeah. Yeah, it, you can't treat something if you're not willing to admit that you have it and you're not less likely to admit that you have it if you feel like it's a, it's a source of shame. It's the idea in, in the addiction
0: kind of, uh, the 12 steps that you have to admit you have a problem first, right? And, and then also... Or,
2: or just admit that it's just a thing that happened It doesn't have to be a not problem, problem. A exactly. it's just, I disagree yeah, with well, that concept
0: yeah, I'm too not, yeah.
2: I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you but I'm just saying you have a good point, but go ahead. Sorry.
1: People are treated uh, like they are are less human. They're less yeah. capable of being a, yeah. in a social setting. Yeah, you're damaged. Setting, yeah, you're setting. You, you don't belong. Is, mm-hmm. is what's wrong? If you have a mental illness, you don't belong. That's why it's hard for to them to go to this. school. Or they put them in a different program, or they have like special ed courses, which I do see the you know to the special ed stuff, but they they do treat mental illness. With something like bipolar disorder, ADHD, stuff like that, where it's not such an extreme, it's almost like, oh, you didn't meet, you didn't meet our standards, you didn't like, you didn't uh, evolve well enough to fit into us.
2: Also, In- with like ADHD, they're just like, here, eat this, so you shut up, and we don't have to acknowledge the fact that you have a problem. Yeah.
1: and
0: it's kind of well it's that not just with ADHD that's with with every problem it's it's literally how science and the secular world has chosen to deal with these issues it's the same it's not just it's, it's not just health issues it's the way that we've treated our legal system it's the way that we deal with any issue it's like okay if we can't figure out the more fundamental problem at the root problem and solve it there then what we'll do is try to cut it off and the way we do that is by making something illegal right it's like oh Problem solved, and then we can compartmentalize it and make it something evil and say that's something we won't do. Yeah, yeah, Right? And that's a way that we try to delete it from the world. But it never, every single time we do that, look into our world, what
2: happens. Yeah, make it, make it into the individual's problem. All you do it's is kind of make a taboo. Issue. We'll make it into an individual's problem, and then we can punish that individual. Exactly right. And so it it actually
0: begs to, before we move on, I wanted to key on something else you said, Jess. And um, it was, I think it was, it wasn't the point of what you brought up, but I think it's an important thing to point out that there's an important way we have to, we have to think about what, at what magnification are we going to analyze this, right? Consciousness itself. Uh, We can zoom in and zoom out at it. Consciousness, if we zoom all the way out at it, would be something like a happening, would be something like God or the universe, would be totality, right? Uh, But if you zoom all the way down into it at the most fundamental level, um, it would be kind of, uh, I think, the individual perspective, something like that right the in- individual and the individual human the mm-hmm. individual whatever mm-hmm. right and so um, but then there's a way in which you can get caught in between really easily and I think this is something that's happening in the scientific world in common co- in, in, in popular culture uh, in our understanding in, in society at large of how the universe works because of the way science has proclaimed itself as kind of a, uh, uh, the end all be all totality the answer uh, and one of the things that I've noticed yeah, it's in that its own, religion. its own religion exactly right because we have deleted religion it, but the, the, in in the way Nietzsche said it anyway. the, the point being is like you described that that uh, all of these different things our biology, kind of uh, the endorphins, all of these different chemical reactions going on in our brain, all of these things are happening. They affect our moods. They affect our decisions. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about because I I asked myself the question, well, but but do they? It's a chicken or the egg question. Is are, are those things actually the things that's creating the experience, or is the experience creating those things? Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, and when you, we have to define which way we're looking at it. Because if we don't define what magnification we're looking at it, then we'll get caught in that minutia. And when you do that, you'll find it's so complicated, we'll never get anywhere. It's too complicated. It could be the endorphins. It could be the nervous system. It could be this or that or this or that. And that's what you find every this, the scientific community doing constantly is this argument within kind of the minutia of the argument which is kind of the idiocy of it which is why it's kind of comical at a fundamental level it's well, like you don't want to admit God or something bigger but then
2: you're willing to argue over this kind of trivial thing well, Does that I don't make think sense? it's like at the it's not the scientific community's fault it's people's understanding it's like if you go back or go into it it's the same thing that happens in church you have the bible mm-hmm Let's just, for the uh, our immediate purposes, assume that we believe everything in the Bible. But people allow a priest to read the Bible for them and then tell them what it means. They don't read it themselves. The yeah. same thing is happening with science now. Hundred percent. People say a scientist said, or they they have shown, or they have proven. How how often do you hear that they have? Yeah. They they have discovered. They have found out. They have They have tested. Yeah. They have done whatever. Whoever the fuck they are, they're doing a lot of shit. Hundred <laughs> percent. And but they're not going in, and they're not. They're not. There's like peer review is an important thing in science. People are not peer reviewing the shit that they quote from science. So it's the same thing. The priest said on Sunday that yeah, I yeah. that there's a Beardy man on a cloud who lives in heaven and he needs seventeen percent of my income. Yeah, that's the same thing. They just somebody said because they were wearing a certain outfit, they had a lab coat on. So they know what they're talking about. Another thing you were talking about, and I don't I'm sorry, but another thing you were talking about was uh, how far we want to zoom in. And it just made me think about something that Beth and I were talking about with colors. Because like if you have just speaking of zooming in and getting a finer point on what's happening is you have blue. This wall here is blue. It's not, but for my immediate purpose, this wall here is blue. But blue encompasses from light, 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 yeah, shades. super light yeah. blue to super, super, super dark blue. So if I say this wall is blue, it's a true statement, but it doesn't yeah. give the full spectrum of what's happening. It could be 19 different shades of blue, mm-hmm. but I've just said it's blue. Yeah, there's a different there's a different truth to that blue
0: depending on the angle yeah, you yeah. look at it. You know, it's like that's that's the the argument that I've that objective truth doesn't exist only subjective truth does uh, something like yes it's true that the blue looks to that shade of it from your angle and it's also true that it looks my shade of it from my angle but it's all blue right and that objective truth isn't the truth that you can you can't take that objective idea of truth that is kind of a combination of everything the shades all together is that blue you also, can't take that and make that true at an individual level, which is what people try to do and what experts try to do and what people try to look for in other people is like the truth, objective yeah. truth. And it doesn't exist
2: that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. Also, <laughs> you know what also I mean? we could see the same shade yeah. of blue, the same different shades of blue. Like you're you're talking about the difference of uh, perception. Well, what I'm talking about is you and I can both see that it's 19 shades of blue. I'm sitting here. You're sitting there. We see that it's 19 shades of blue. But I say that it's blue. And you say, yes, it is blue. It's not that it's our perception that's these differences that our description is not complete. And quite yeah. often you get that it's also true, like yeah. with like as we were saying with the the interpretation of the Bible, the interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita or the the Quran it's or It's a magnification whatever, problem too. It's not yeah. just the Bible. I'm not just trying to attack Christians for this cuz everyone does it. But uh No, and it, then also yeah. in science. He said this. There was a thing. He did a bunch of tests. I will guarantee you that scientist wrote a lot of shit down. But this guy who has an opinion and has a thought, he's king on this one element of what the scientist has written down. So it's the same thing. This wall is blue. It is blue. It's 19 different shades of blue. But I did not communicate that with the statement. This wall is blue. True.
1: Going further into perception, yeah, I, I suppose, um, an influence, and um, it, I find it, I find it interesting that different shades of a color can influence a person mm-hmm. differently. It, can, it not only can like a light blue influence me differently than a dark blue can, mm-hmm. but a dark blue can influence Chris or Justin differently than the dark yeah. blue influences me. Subjective. And so that's still, yeah, a matter of perspective. How how I already associate. What do I associate the color uh, the shade, dark blue, shade and color of dark blue with, that makes me feel like more negative that I'm like, like it repels me. It's not my favorite color, but then yet I'll look at like a a lighter blue. Um, and this is actually backwards. So it's funny that I said it this way. I'll look at a lighter blue and be like, Oh, that makes me feel so comforted and light. And you know, I'm really, I'm really into that color. Um, that shade of blue, I mean, and then the same thing with like red, you could take red and it's, you know, real deep, deep red is more like uh I'd say like sensual. I think more like like low lights, a fireplace. Like yeah. a, it doesn't have to be sexual, but like in the mood kind of thing. It's like more deep and passionate. It's passionate. Yeah. And then when a more vibrant red's like, hey, I'm either angry or I'm really excited. Yeah. And then you go down a little bit further and it gets to kinda of like a pink. And the pink's like very soft. I think of babies or I think of love and romance and Valentine's mm-hmm. Day and it changes. And it's still, you know, no matter what, I I can still see pink and think Valentine's Day. Chris could say see pink and think Valentine's Day, and I could be like, ew, Valentine's Day. He'd be like, ooh, I love Valentine's Day. It's also, yeah, also, yeah.
2: yeah, like like you say, the different uh, shades and tones of pink or red and pink can affect your mood. So back to the, let's make the wall red now, just for what you're saying. I now say the wall is red. You can't see the wall. I'm telling you the wall is red. Whatever your emotions are, you could then create that color of red in your head for what that True. wall is, and now you're feeling sensual, or you're feeling excited, or you're feeling angry, mm-hmm. or you're remembering that you fucking hate Valentine's Day. That <laughs> has been created yeah, by a, this color mm-hmm. that may not be the color that you're thinking of, but you would you were... You were already primed up. You were you're pissed off about something else happened. So know I say this this wall is red. So now you're thinking of that bright red color that pisses you off. You're a broadcaster and a receiver,
1: and hmm. in, in
0: every way, not just in like the energetic way that people like we talk about it spiritually. It, well, that that is the way it's true, but that it manifests in the physical way more ways than you expect. It's like okay, if you think that you're going about the world. Watching it and just taking information in, and it's a one way street in that way. The next time you go uh, out when you're angry and you look at somebody, uh, watch the way they react to you without saying anything. Uh, What you'll notice is that they're getting an energy from you just by your look, by your gaze by the visual stimulus that they're getting, nothing that you're saying. There's not any, any other kind of energetic a- action happening there. So that there's there's myriads of ways that you connect with that. It actually happens simply without the visual stimulus as well, if you really want to tune into it. There's ways in which I've talked about this with Bethany. It's a more, you know, it, it's one of my more unbalanced states in the past, but I used to know and this is one of the ways that my psychic abilities, my psychic medium abilities kind of manifest at first was when I was very young. I used to remember knowing that if I was, agitated enough or angry enough when I went into a room or a building or a place, if I maintained that energy and projected it towards the people around me in a very specific way without saying anything or doing anything, really engaging in any way, that I could kind of sabotage the whole thing myself in a very vindictive and kind of controlling way. And that's a very good example of how I'm sure if you're you're honest with yourself, you may be able to think about a time that you've done something similar. Uh, Maybe it's not in exactly the way I described it, but maybe it's like, hey, you know what? I'm upset about this, but I'm going to pretend like I'm not, and I'm going to go along with what's going on, and I'm just going to hold that in and be a little vindictive the whole time. Watch what happens around you. You'll notice that not only does like the, the the thing that's happening, like the thing that you're expecting, manifest in exactly the way you were expecting it, but also you get back the exact same energy, the vindiction that you manifested it in from the other people around you so that you are a broadcaster and a receiver in every way. And with that, I kind of want to move on with, to my quote, if you guys are okay with that. Uh, or do you have something else before we nope, move on? No, I don't want to hear it.
1: Um, I do have I do have one more thing I was I was gonna read the the part from the beginning but this this is short so I'll just read this instead if that's okay and it kind of ties back to like the whole animals and communication and consciousness and it, it it comes from um the wild unknown animal spirit guidebook which is the guidebook that goes to an oracle card oracle card deck that I have which is the shamanic the mystical shaman mystical shaman oracle deck and um See, uh, okay, let me see how to. I've got so many ideas <laughs> flying in my head right now. And I'm like, oh great, yeah, that's great too. So thrilled. Um, so okay. Um, when I had the near-death experience, I realized that there was a lot of things that I went through that mirrored some of the stories and like sh- like sh- shamanisms. And then got shamanisms. Shamanistic practice- practices? Mm-hmm.
2: I like shamanisms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got, okay, so when you have a lot of ideas channeling through you, sometimes you, you like speak yeah, so rapid. Yeah, like you start that, to yeah. stutter because your mind is racing. So anyways, I'm comparing it to that experience, t- trying to tie it all together. So I went through the book and I asked my guides to, uh, lead me to a page that resonated with my quote in some sort of way. Um, I need my phone for this part. Um, so it, it pulled up to the tarantula and this one says at a crossroad and claiming life's purpose. Okay. So this does tie in. Just give me a minute to, to show you how it does. It says the tarantula represents a moment when a great decision must be made. It involves prioritizing your life's deeper purpose or dharma. Now, I I Google searched the definition of dharma for anybody who doesn't totally know what that is. And it says in parentheses, parentheses, in Indian religion, the eternal and inherent nature of reality. So this mm-hmm. is how it ties into that. So I didn't pick this. And to be honest with you, I didn't know what Dharma meant. So yeah. I had to I've i heard it
0: before. <laughs> I had to look it up on a Wikipedia one, once in an episode. But yes, it's that, that force, life force.
1: Right. Yeah. You would think that with what I do that I would know this. Yeah. But it says, regarded in, in Hinduism as a cosmic law of underlying right behavior and social order, which is basically which is mm-hmm. what we've been talking about.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It's a different way of thinking about it, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it says uh, a couple other examples. The nature of reality regarded as a universal truth taught by Buddha or an aspect of truth or reality. Okay. So it says, um, back to the book, a habit or routine from the past is sidetracking you from your dream. Yet you a voice inside you keeps, uh, this is also advice that like, if you were to pull the card, begging you to refocus your attention in order to find your true happiness, you must choose Dharma until you do. Satisfaction will be fleeting. And I think that kind of ties into, I think what Justin was saying, earlier you must choose dharma to find true happiness it was kind of like basically what was it what was it you said justin about the mentality
2: oh uh my quote
1: right I think yeah it was. it's
2: it's the uh the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts
1: exactly right okay yeah. so you could choose to be happy you could choose dharma the tarantula hovers patient and calm like an old friend that knows your inner soul it already knows you'll choose wisely. So when this animal is in balance, it represents following your intuition. And when it is out of balance, it hesitates or it over-intellectualizes. To bring into balance, it says the daily journal. So I guess daily journal would just be to note, to note, uh, to yeah. keep track of the things that are happening in and around you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because yeah, it's it's important, it's important to, to um, hold yourself accountable, I guess, in that way, right? Internally too. It's like, okay, in what ways am I failing in that way? You, you honestly don't want to, you need to be careful because you don't want to go too far either way. You don't want to kind of villainize yourself, but you also don't want to kind of glorify yourself and place yourself on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to walk this fine line of kind of, okay, uh, systematically every day, what, in what ways did I succeed? And which, which ways did I fail? And in what ways can I uh, take maybe a step further in the other direction or the direction that I'm planning the next one. And in that way, um, you keep yourself, your mind too much out of the future and wishing for something to save you. Something like that, because you're the thing that's saving yourself. Yeah, uh, the, the and, stoic
2: principles. And this
0: is a perfect, perfect segue. I'm glad that you read that, because it's a perfect segue into the quote that I was going to go to. Um, do, you, do you have more before I go there?
1: Uh, no, you can go ahead and start. I just wanted, we can look this up later, but I just wanted to point out that 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 was on page 131. I was going so to ask a, you. Okay. Yeah, there's okay. another angel number in there.
0: Okay, so we have an angel number just like we were talking about in last episode. I'll look that up real quick uh, while I get this ready. Um, but yeah, angel number 131. One. Um, but yeah, the oh, wait, my Chris, quote...
2: Yes, go ahead. I'm ready for your quote now. I mean, I'm ready for your quote now.
0: <laughs> oh, are you? Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I, my quote is by Jordan Peterson, one of my favorite uh, philosophers, modern day philosophers. Uh, and it ties in well to what you were talking about uh, about kind of intention setting and uh, and finding a way to hold yourself accountable uh, and before I go on to that, angel number 131 signifies support from your angels to feel confident in yourself and your abilities. You need to remain optimistic and focused on your goals. Don't let anything or anyone discourage you. The angels are asking you to have faith in your talents and gifts and I, I think I want to kind of point out that in Dharma I noticed a certain quality Dharma is also something like the idea of total truth uh, that the total truth is that you are gifted you have talents you are specific and very uh, you are specific in certain ways and that in order to manifest those things you have to believe that they exist first uh, and that is a certain type of truth an inner truth an inner knowing and a, a subjective truth that you are the thing that has to manifest. And the only way you manifest something is to believe in it first, it's really that. Um, it's why in a lot of the movies that you see about uh, concerning magic, if somebody's kind of an apprentice to magic or they, they discover they have a magic ability, say Harry Potter, uh, for example, there's a there's a, there's a a part of it that always speaks of needing to believe in it first to make it happen, right? So in order to fly or in order to do whatever it is, you have to believe that it exists first or trust in it at the very least, to take the leap off the building, uh, you know, whatever it is that's what this speaks of i think yeah um and like i said that carries very nicely into jordan peterson's quote and that is that consciousness is a mystery that faces the mystery of potential and transforms it into actuality we do that with every choice we make our choices determine the destiny of the world by making a choice you alter the structure of reality
1: so let's, let's have you read like half of that and then review it okay. and then go over the other half and review it.
0: Okay. So we'll go for the first part of it. Consciousness is a mystery that faces the mystery of potential and transforms it into actuality. So he uses mystery twice in this quote, which is interesting, right? Um, so there's probably two definitions to it, I'm thinking. Uh, one being, well, let's look up this definition of mystery really quick. Because um, I found that when you look up the definition, you usually leads you down a rabbit hole um usually on wikipedia if we can find it but that mystery obviously means something that's that yeah, there's unknown there right there's a but it's, there's also intrigue built into the idea of mystery too it's not just an unknown or it would be called unknown um let's
2: see here uh, that's a good point right exactly yeah, so it kind a, of it implies a a word.
0: Yes. There's a certain it needs word to, be to it. Yes. Needing to be discovered. That's a yeah. good way to put it. I like that. And so here's the definition on Google here. It says the first, defi- there's two definitions. Uh, the first one is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. Um, so uh, that's kind of like the idea we we're talking about, but not, not quite. And then the second one is a novel play or movie dealing with a puzzle crime, especially a murder. So what we did is mixed both of them kind of together. Yeah. Right. And what I think Jordan Peterson is doing here is using both of them separately. Right. So one is consciousness is a mystery that faces the mystery, the play mystery, but a fundamental mystery, right. Is the first one that he's using there, the mystery of right something being difficult or impossible to understand or explain. So a search, you're never going to finish a finish line that doesn't exist, right. Uh Consciousness is something you can't figure out because you're within it. You can't see something you're within fundamentally, right? So there's a certain amount of this. We're never going to know. It's also associated with the idea of God and totality in the universe and everything like that. But consciousness is a mystery that faces the mystery, the play, reality, uh, the physical reality of potential and transforms it into actuality. So it's something like he he put it another way one time. It's very similar to this quote in one of the talks I heard. He said, every day when you wake up, uh, you're faced with this potential. And he said, if you think about it, it really is this way. You, 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 you return from a, an astral realm, the dream realm, another place. And you're coming back to this body, this avatar. And every time you do, there's a certain kind of haze and daze of, of oh, shit, I'm back here. Right? But the very first moment that you, you regain consciousness into this space, you'll notice that all of the problems of yesterday will appear again. But also all of the, all of the possibility of yesterday will appear again. But also today, the new day. And so there's this endless expanse of possibility in front of you. What could I do? Could I stand up? Could I not stand up? Could I get dressed? Could I not? Could I eat this, that, this, that? Could I fill up my gas tank? You can you get what I'm going, where I'm going. That endless potential is something everybody's presented with. It's something that's fundamental, it's the fundamental responsibility of the human being. And what I think he's saying here is that consciousness fundamentally is that thing that confronts that potential and takes something out of it. It's something, it's it's you're the thing that says, okay, there's all this chaos. I'm going to sort it. And the proper sortation is what makes my happy day. That's fundamentally what we do. The next part of that quote is, we do that with every choice we make. Our choices determine the destiny of the world. By making a choice, you alter the structure of reality. And I think he's talking really fundamentally you do that. When you make a choice, your reality changes. You're a broadcaster and a receiver. Well,
1: He's referring to manifestation.
0: Yes, exactly right. That this is how it works. It's it's not magic in the way that we have, have been told. Magic uh, is is like a uh, a funny kind of uh, intangible thing. No, 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 no. Magic is something like this fundamental unknowing, the mystery, right? Is magic, right? And the the way in which you have control over over everything in a way that you never fully understand or yeah. grasp.
1: Uh, I think also being able to ask for something, pray, wish, whatever, and not expect it just to pop up, like fall into your lap, okay? Because that's what you know the TV portrays magic to be. But manifestation is something more along the lines of being able to follow your intuition, your gut, when the universe gives you an opportunity, and you to take that chance, to take that risk, to jump up yes. on the opportunity and say, okay, you know what? I want to uh, make a podcast. I want to make money making a Take podcast. A yeah. And so then, you know, the you heart. meet somebody at another event. Who's like, I've already done a podcast, but for some reason you decide not to have that conversation with that person and you go and do something different. Like you miss that opportunity. Yeah. Um, you didn't, you didn't manifest it because mm-hmm. you weren't looking for the chance to reach your goal that yeah. you weren't aligned with the goal you put out, the intent you put out. So when the universe was like, okay, here's your gift. Sorry it took me so long to get it to you, but you know, I did everything I could. Here you go, follow this. Yeah. You'll get to where you want to go, and you're just like, nah. nah well, that's the funny thing. I wanted and it then to, you'll convince or how yourself. I wanted it yeah, to.
0: You'll convince yourself it never happened. Yeah. And uh-huh. then you'll go along thinking that the universe isn't giving you what you want. Exactly. And you'll blame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is why it's a comedy,
2: fundamentally. <laughs> and uh, a thing that you guys use words manifest and things like that are quite lit a lot. And uh, as a muggle, they sound weird to me. <laughs> but uh- that's a good way to put it. I love the way. <laughs> But uh, if you've ever read on quantum theory, which is good proper science stuff, by, by the way, nobody's, a, nobody's a muggle in that way. Just to intervene, <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. But in quantum theory, they did, um, like discussing of photons. Photons. Uh, they did this experiment where they fired <laughs> them through a uh, a screen, or not a screen, but like a, a gap. Yeah. And they the created, experiment.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and they created dots in a line, like they went through the gap. But then when they observed them creating the dots in a line, they didn't. They created a bunch of lines as if they were a wave. So the, yes. When yeah. they were operating independently, they behaved as a particle. Yes. But when they were observed, they uh, operated as a wave form. Mm-hmm. Which, and this was repeatable. This is something that happened over and over again. It was just some weird shit that happened once. It was something that happened over and over again. Which proved that being observed, not acted upon, but just simply observed, they would change their uh, their behavior. So, this I mean, this is this is good Einstein-type science-y stuff, which shows that just simply by observing a thing, you can change the way it behaves, which. You know, it'd be inter- I an mean, interesting way to, to, to kind
0: of sec- to, to alter that and see if, it, if what we're talking about is real, is if you had people, the people that are ab- observing it, change their expectation of what's going to happen, what they're going to see. So it's like, okay, if everything is a wave, which I fundamentally believe it is, everything's up and down, left or right, then uh, if that's true, if observing something is what actually makes it change into something, then... Uh, what if you expect like and, ma- and what I'm thinking is like the reason that we're seeing dots or photons or th- or those things is because as photons as dots is because that's what we're expecting to see is dots It's what our conception of a photon is right but if we were to change that conception and expect to see something other than a dot m- maybe we would Have, you see what I'm saying like maybe the wave would convert to the different form because we're observing it in a different energy because
2: well, that's there? the thing is they were expecting. Particles because they had seen particles represented yes. and a wave came. So it could also be a question of, like, like we've been talking about, is a perception. Particle form, yeah. Or just perception. Just, yeah. We think it's either a particle or a wave, but why does it need to be one of e- those two things? That's either. just our understanding, our yeah. simple perception of what's happening. I see what you're saying. Yeah,
0: that's a good point a really good point and actually that segues nicely into another angel number that I got uh, a couple minutes ago right when I stopped talking last I looked up and it was 117 on the reporting here so I looked up that angel number and it says uh, let's see here says the angel number 117 is a mix of energies of the number number one and seven Uh, signifies spiritual awakening and spiritual enlightenment psychic abilities empathic abilities inner wisdom mysticism and manifesting your desires into reality The number 117 signifies manifesting good things into our lives. So it's speaking of manifestation.
1: Have you, um... Have you, either of you, ever... Uh... Like I thought of like being on a computer, watching a movie, or like standing outside and being like on your phone. You're kind of like lost in your own world, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you start doing something like maybe picking your nose, or you're watching something. You kind of get like lost in a commercial or something, and you're like stuck in it. It's not something you really want to watch or whatever. But suddenly you get this idea or like this weird feeling, and you're like, oh, like you snap out of it, and either you stop picking your nose, you stop looking at your phone or whatever you were doing, and you look up or you look away and or and change the channel, and you realize that whether or not somebody was actually in the like looking directly at you somebody was next to you or in the room and you decided to change your behavior because of the feeling that you got without even recognizing at first that somebody was even next to you or or even further looking at you
2: example so you were happily doing something embarrassing for a period of time then suddenly you felt as if you needed to stop yeah yeah
1: Yep. You changed your behavior.
0: Well, it's also really the, the very first example I ever used in this podcast was one of, of uh, if you ever go out to the restaurant with your friends, you know, group of friends. And, you know, every time you, you sit down at a table, I always notice that people like to um, you, just, a lot of times in a big group, you'll notice there's this awkward silence when people are looking at the, uh, the menus, you know. And usually what you'll notice is that silence will sit there and people will start looking at the menus and maybe talking amongst themselves, but not really engaging with anybody else. And uh, the longer the silence stays, the louder this kind of internal conversation in your head will grow. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the internal conversation, what you'll notice, you'll think it's your thoughts initially. But if you watch, what you'll notice is it's actually everybody's thoughts going crazy because what's happening in everybody else's head is the same thing. Why isn't everybody talking? Why isn't there sound happening right now? why are we sitting here without saying anything? What do I want to eat? Should I talk to somebody? Should I break the silence? You start to hear this building, and then before you know it, about maybe 30 seconds, sometimes it's not even that long, there will be somebody that will get uncomfortable enough to just say some bullshit. And it's always something stupid. It's always like, oh, wow, look at the weather. Or, oh, this looks really good. Or something that, sure, it's something you could say, but it's something like regurgitating sound so you don't have to be silent anymore. And that's that's a good example of how you can experience the ways in which you, you interact with people around you
2: uh, I guess the best way would to describe it would be psychically. Mm-hmm. Also, it's people <laughs> tend to perceive that yeah. while everyone at the table is sitting quietly, not speaking, they will perceive it as their failing. It's like I'm not talking. I'm not creating yes. this situation exactly. where people are discussing things, when actually everyone's sitting around not talking. That's the other point that I made, too, in that I'm
0: glad you brought that up, was that it's not just what why and then place yourself in the position of the person that does break the silence. Why are they doing that? Well, usually the reason if you because it's always been you, it's been you at some point. Right. So why did you do that? It's like, well, because usually you'll vindicate it in yourself saying something like, well, nobody wants to sit in silence. You know what I mean? So I'll just say something. I'll create conversation. You know what I mean? I want to you know, I don't want people to just sit and stare at menus. But it's if you analyze that deep enough, you realize you're kind of placing yourself in this hero mold. You're being a savior for people. Oh, you know what? I, it's not because I'm uncomfortable. It's because everybody else is uncomfortable, and I'm going to go in there and break the silence for them.
1: Well, you're being an, you're being you know? a, you're being aware. Yes. Y- you are at a state of awareness that everybody else isn't willing to yeah. uh, tap into or acknowledge. Yeah, also and so true. you yeah. can say just fine any way. But sometimes it's, it's simply just that, like, hey, not everybody else is aware. True. That we can continue to do what we're doing and interact with each other. You don't have to go. Go silent cuz you're not sure of yeah. yourself i guess <laughs> also, yeah, there's true, that, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, there's that dexter thing is like i've watched other humans do this before i'm trying to blend in with them uh-huh so yeah other people talk when there's silence so i better say something so that no one thinks that i'm broken
0: well yeah. that's that's also why i bring it up too is because that's part of how you create that type of thing is something like hiding from yourself or something like trying to uh um Convince other people that you're not what you're scared of.
2: Trying to fill them all.
0: If you do that long enough, what you'll do is uh, create this uh, socio- sociopathy inside of yourself, where you manipulate other people through the mask that you've created. Something like that. Um, you know what I mean? You'll you'll uh, you'll say things like that. You'll do things because you truly believe. Uh, that that's the best thing for you and everybody else around you, and if you're not careful with that, you can you can you can uh, blow that up to the grandest scale. That's what happened. I truly believe with Hitler, in a weird way, is like if you assume that everybody does everything for, with the best intentions, if you at least apply that concept to a figure like Hitler, then what you have to assume is what he was doing was actually thinking that he was going to usher in some kind of new era for the human race, even though I obviously do not agree with his perspective, just to clarify for anybody that may have questioned that. uh, If you think about it in that context, then you kind of think about, okay, he thought he was doing something for the good of everybody, or at least the people that he wanted to do good for. And then when you think about it that way, it's like, okay, well, how did he get there? Well, this series of justifications inside of himself, all the way from that fundamental thing, oh, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not this horrible thing. These ideas aren't going to manifest in a negative way towards anybody else. So I'm going to try to manifest it anyway. Even when I see red flags, I'll I'll, I'll ignore those red flags and I'll press anyway. I'll manipulate people. I'll pretend to be something I'm not all the way until I get what I get, because they don't understand properly. They don't see what I see. You see this kind of, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It really is a savior complex, and we have to be very calm. We have to be very careful with that savior idea, which is why I brought it up in that context. The reason people break the silence is they're trying to save other people. Well, and in just, a very, very
2: simple way, just, you know. And <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No problem. Just going back on what you're what you're saying, it had a very mechanical, uh, in a very it just not again, not to support Hitler. In a very mechanical <laughs> sense of the word, genocide <laughs> would create peace. But the problem yeah, yeah. with it is Thanos. that people yeah. will. Yeah, That's but, like, yeah. But people always find, uh, what is it? Uh, Extremism, bigotry always finds a way. Yeah. If you kill, it's like that episode of uh, the original Star Trek, where they went to the planet and these people had this huge racial divide and they were fighting each other and they all were black and white. They were all black and white. And so they're like, well, wh- what do you mean this this difference? What is this difference that you guys are seeing? Why is there a problem? And I said, are you a stupid? You can't see? He's black on his right side and white on his left side. And I'm white on my right side and black on my left side. Mm. If, that, if that was different the way I said it. <laughs> yeah, it was from an outside observer, they seem the same. But if you ask them and press them, they'll say, okay, this is the difference. When it's a Jim Jefferies joke, he says the, in Iraq, the Sunnis and the, it may not be in Iraq, but in Iraq, the Sunnis and the Shiites are fighting each other, which just goes to prove in a country without blacks and Jews, people will improvise. If yeah. you don't have someone to hate, you will find someone to hate.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Well, and that's actually one of the ideas that um, a lot of our, uh, one of the more popular movies in pop culture in the last thirty years, Terminator, is based on. Right? If you, uh, the machines, the backstory to that is something like uh, a Skynet was created as a f- way to protect humanity from, uh, or the United States from outside attacks. Right? Um, but one of the fundamental things that was programmed into that AI itself, which was designed to learn and to protect the United States, or humanity itself really, uh, was to identify what the biggest threat was. Uh, and once it ran that calculation, it realized that the biggest threat was humanity itself. And then it started a war with humanity to eliminate it. And it is that idea you were talking about before that, uh, if you are just logical about things, uh, you have to be really careful with the logical mind because if it, you're essentially acting as an AI or a computer, and if you take it, uh, in that way, you'll, you'll very quickly, uh, realize that human beings, uh, create a lot of suffering. A lot mm-hmm. of suffering. And that if you want to eliminate that suffering, the easiest way to do it, the most effective and efficient way to do it is to eliminate the source, the human being. Those that and can't suffer. Those that, yes, those that can suffer well,
2: fundamentally, exactly, and view it as a primitive thing. Well, if you go way yeah. back in the way back, at some point we were chasing deer and trying to pick berries, and we figured that at a certain, point, certain times a year, in certain areas, there were certain berries. And then we also figured out that at certain times a year, certain animals would walk through a certain place so humans evolved with pattern recognition yeah so that was a positive trait we figured that out we all people who could recognize patterns survived but as a result we recognize patterns in everything even where they aren't necessarily there we create them ourselves because it was such a positive trait for so long that it's just in our brain that's what we have now yeah, so that, that's what creates this whole thing where we see if we see one thing do something, then we see this a similar thing, do it again. Suddenly, that's the thing that that thing does, even if it was two isolated incidents we saw it twice and we see a pattern.
0: Yeah, we are a pattern recognition. we do like patterns. I think the reason we like patterns at a fundamental level is because they provide a certain we've identified it with security, comfort, comfort. Yeah, so safety, really safety at a fundamental level it's like oh I can predict you so I can kind of tell if you're going to kill me or not you know at a fundamental level <laughs> you know what I mean uh, I think that's at a fundamental level if you apply that idea that's what it's there for or where it stems from
1: is um is discrimination a form of consciousness and do you guys think that animals discriminate against either mm. other species I guess species other, um, a- and also their own kind
2: well yeah I mean interesting you have like any kind of social social animal will ostracize different animals animals that don't fit the the ideal don't fit in with the society so yeah they discriminate they we may not really understand why they're discriminating but again we're going back to consciousness it's something that we don't perceive they could have a weird smell they could be some difference on a level of uh, what's it called? The perception that we don't have. Snakes uh, see in infrared. I don't know if they're. If there what are. about
1: what about dogs who? Uh who attack or get aggressive towards people dressed in dark clothing or even who have darker skin than other people. Mm. And, in you know, I, I've, I've yeah. sure it goes both ways. I'm not trying to like say that it only happens that way, but I have heard, yeah. you know, in my personal experience, more often people say something that, you know, if you're a, a man, uh, a tall individual, a uh, big man, a tall individual, Wear or hats. somebody who's dressed in dark clothing and/or has dark dark skin, yeah. the the dog can get aggressive, and it's like, why? What what why? are they you know quote unquote discriminating against?
2: True. Also, real quick, yeah. as we're discussing this, the dogs are getting annoyed, <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense. They're picking up on our 3 One, yeah, it's one so. three three.
0: Yeah, they're both getting I'm recording when we say that, so we'll see what that means. But
1: what was it? What time?
0: Uh, one three three on the recording uh, 133 is asking you uh, to give all your doubts worries and fears to the angels and the ascended masters to trust that they are offering you their full support and protection Have faith that they, things in your life are unfolding in the right direction for your highest good so that in the context of what we were just talking about I don't know really how it applies directly to you
1: what ta- what what was the number again
0: One one three three. do you have a
1: I would try searching it with a keyword associated to it. So maybe love would be something. I mean, it is. It's, you know, discrimination versus love.
0: Yeah, it symbolizes enlightenment and awareness in in terms of love. And so, yeah, it
2: makes sense that,
0: yeah, we're we're talking about discrimination and where it it stems from. And it would be revealing
2: in that way. Also, we were going way back the beginning of the conversation talked about how you can empathize with something that you understand uh, and the opposite of empathizing with I mean like like we were talking about fish we pull fish out of the water and we suffocate them that's not hate no one hates the fish they just don't give a fuck so it's not a question of uh, of the opposite of uh, uh, opposite of love is indifference not hate yeah, I just said yeah. a quote about that the other day and that's very true it's, yeah, so it's yeah. it's not the, that that uh, something you just said made me think of this, and so now I can't think what it was. Well,
1: I, I was, because I was saying um, when he was looking it up, discrimination, and I said versus love. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if I was saying it's the opposite, but I said for, maybe versus, maybe I did, I don't remember. Yeah, but, versus.
2: Well, versus kind of gives that, that kind of an idea. Is Discrimination doesn't necessarily have anything to do with disliking that thing. It's just not understanding it and not wanting to deal with it. Like we were talking about with mental mental illness, it's something that people don't want to deal with because they don't really understand it because it's not something that's happening to them. Like, my brain doesn't do that, so why does your brain do that?
1: Well, that's for people, probably, who aren't re- responding in always a negative sense, but when the dog is showing its teeth and, you know, mm-hmm. being aggressive, it would be hard to argue that, <laughs> that well, the dog likes the person.
2: Well, uh... Our dog, when I was a kid, uh, Lucy Dog, she used to always run up to, the. We had, we had a gas tank. We lived out in the country, so we had a propane tank in the yard, and they'd come and fill it like we didn't have city gas. So we had a gas man, he used to come by, and he'd always throw popcorn to Daisy, uh, not Daisy, to Lucy to distract her. And so she'd always run up real excited on him and run up at him, and she she might look like she she was excited, so was, she might look as if she was being aggressive. She was just trying to get to him to get her popcorn. And then we got a different gas man and then it scared him and he shocked her. He had a like a little cattle prod thing to scare dogs away. So, I mean, she had the same reaction. There was no aggression. There was no anger. But his perception was different.
0: Well, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because animals discriminate. um, They do discriminate, but they do it. I I, I think they do it. Uh, something like the difference between the discriminate. There's a difference between the discrimination we experience in human beings and the discrimination we see in the animal kingdom.
1: Like it has a purpose?
0: Uh, yeah. So, yes, there's a fundamental purpose to the discrimination, the suffering that discrimination creates in the animal kingdom. It's something like if a baby... Uh, you know, if a mama... Uh, You know, bird of some sort abandons her chick because it falls out of the nest. It's because it's probably not strong enough, as they're strong as the other babies, or maybe it's sick, or maybe its perception was off and it fell and it shouldn't have. You get this idea that there's this harshness to it, but maybe that's the sortation mechanism of it, right? And so there's a necessity to it. Like it's a it's a weak thing that probably would have died anyway. Kind of an idea, right? Which is harsh, but probably true. Um, Now that's. Different. It's the discrimination we experience in the human world is something like um, created, manufactured. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a form of brainwashing and manipulation. Uh, something that's used to motivate people in the same way that propaganda, in a political sense, is used to motivate the masses. It's it's the reason that Hitler used it. It's it's something that can motivate people very, very uh, because we are so tribal as a fund as a fundamental thing. The, the human being itself, because we had to just we, the way we survived was fundamentally tribal, uh, all the way up until at least the last thousand years or so, a couple thousand years uh, we uh, that we know of. Right, um, we've relied on this thing, and then so the. the one of the easiest ways to trick the human being Into going back into its animal state Is to tell it that a part of it Something inside of it is rotten Or, or fundamentally flawed Or that it needs to be you know, uh, ex- exercised uh, And it'll motivate the shit out of people If you use it the right way And I think that's social why it exists thing. It's a social yeah, thing though. Exactly right it's a diff- It is a different fundamental thing But it's also why it's a little more insidious It's why it's, it, it, it feels so nasty When you see it Because it is nasty Because it's a needless type of suffering That doesn't need
2: to be there Yeah, like you say, it's a hijacking of a a, uh, more primitive understanding. It's like, like we were talking about with color, how different colors can evoke different feelings, and those come from somewhere. The reason why one person has a different feeling about a color is that another person is probably associated with something that's happened to them. Maybe a guy with a dark red shirt punched them in the face when they were a kid, and then someone with a dark red shirt gave someone else a piece of candy. That dark red is now a negative to one and a positive to another. So it's not necessarily a a conscious negative uh, manipulation. It could just be, like we were talking about, subconscious patterns. And also, we have this this whole thing where part of our pattern recognition is sharing those patterns with each other. It's a social aspect. They're like, hey, if you meet a guy with a red shirt, he'll punch you in the nose. Well, and I think... That did you know, happen. It's something that you learned, but it doesn't... It's not exactly. necessarily something that's going to happen every time. Well, and this leads... I think this leads to a nice place to kind
0: of, end uh, the episode, or at least start to wrap it up, because you're, you're leading me to kind of, at least, I think, sum up my conception of consciousness, and I think we should each go through and kind of uh, give our, our answer for that question. What is consciousness and what is reality? Um, so I'll, I'll start off really quick trying to answer that question. Um, what is consciousness? Um As you can see, as many of you listeners probably can tell, we've defined it in many different ways throughout the night. And that's because it is something that's meant to be a mystery fundamentally. So I can't define it for you or answer it for you in the way that you probably expect. But what I think consciousness is, is something like an ongoing process. It's something like what you're experiencing now, but it's not, it's not, it's a happening uh, and that it extends uh, in a certain web-like pattern to everything around you. Uh, but that there's ways in which we can't connect with every form of consciousness, uh, that it exists within evolution. It is a part of evolution itself. It exists within, uh, every form of life, every process within life. And so, um, and it interplays with itself, that consciousness itself is kind of God itself or the universe. And so, um, one of the ways you can see that or experience that if you need to prove it in a more secular way is to kind of look back at, at evolution itself at the way we understand, uh, the avatars uh, and the different forms they take manifesting. Uh, you can try to think of it in a way that Jordan Peterson described it in, uh, if, if you're, if fundamentally what consciousness is in the human form, like he described it, is something like the thing that, that confronts chaos, the potential of the day and orders it and structures it in some way, then, uh, Every other form of life up until this point, if we have evolved from that, has been something like a more primitive version, not in a, in a hierarchy way, but something like a stepping stone to that point. So that if what the purpose of the human life is is to develop and, and evolve the spirit, the soul, or reconnect it with the, its higher self, then the purpose of lower uh, or different versions of life is something like getting to that point where you recognize that that's what you need to do. So that uh, if I am an ant there is a similar process that's happening with me where I'm being presented with a certain type of chaos, but it's a much more slimmed down version. It's something like the ant only has a certain conception of the world. And it's something like, what do we need? What am I supposed to do today? And it's probably a lot simpler. It's like, go get that leaf or don't get that leaf. Go follow this instruction or don't. My conception of it is something like, if you do the job of ant properly, when you're reborn again, The next time you come into this form you go into a different version a slightly more complicated version in which you're tested in that more complicated way until you pass it all the way up until you get to this form which the test then is to realize that you are totality so you can rejoin it and become part of the universe again that's what consciousness is i think that's what totality that's what reality is i think
1: I see consciousness as a form of reality, a form or a piece of reality, I guess you'd say. Piece wasn't the word I was thinking earlier. But um, what I mean is it's kind of like uh, it's what leads. So if, if it's all about perspective, right? It's the it's form, it's perspective. Um, it's what leads to this like honeycomb of... Basically, like multiverses that are mm. the universe within each individual yeah. perspective, and then it's and for us geared more towards what I imagine is much smaller. You know, human life, Earth, maybe some planets and stars that we can actually visually see or kind of try to understand. But the, the consciousness is a, is a form of mm. reality, yeah. and. All of the honeycomb realities make a full totality, Totality. as you say, Um, and it's when you can connect with all of them that gives you enlightenment or, you know, the ability to decode certain things when the universe is speaking to you, when it, you know, for example... Um, puts like a tarantula in your life. It's crossing the street. You Google search the spiritual meaning of a tarantula. You understand that something is communicating with you. Mm. And it could be even go further into what is the animal doing? What was the tarantula doing? It was crossing the road. What was, do you remember what I was talking about when I read it? It said something about crossing paths, going yeah. into crossroads. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be able to get the same information just from researching what it means to cross the road, the tarantula, all that stuff and still get I, I somebody or something would be speaking to me. Maybe it's the tarantula itself.
0: I like that answer a lot. I think it actually gels nicely with what I was saying, We you're talking about the honeycomb of realities that you could, you could conceptualize even that within each life form that we see that maybe we see the ant as the ant, but that it's a honeycomb. It's another honeycomb. Hmm. that you know what I mean? That the, the star is another honeycomb mm-hmm. that the, you know, everything's a, that's a rock why I is a honeycomb. It as an yeah. example. Cause I yeah. kind of
1: saw them fitting into little puzzle little, pieces, little pieces and they're all real, they're all basically attached, but they're still different. Yeah,
0: Networked. Yeah. yeah networked. networked yeah. yeah, exactly right. Um, you, while uh, you said that I, it was, uh, 1119 here in Phoenix, Arizona. So, uh, angel number 119 symbolizes some, uh, happy relationships and eternal love. Uh, and I think, it usually said that angel number 119 is very sensitive to in love, but sometimes also, also very shy uh, and that you have a dedicated partner in relationship. Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring up the 119 is, is the first part, the eternal love part, because it gels nicely with our last episode. Uh, and we're talking about honeycombs and networks and kind of the different variations of life and what total love was. What we came to yesterday was
1: interconnectedness. the
0: interconnectedness of everything, right? Mm-hmm. true seeing the mirror seeing yourself and everything else so that uh, what we're just doing is describing love in another form in another way another perspective right there
1: right if I love yeah. myself enough to understand that I am different and that what makes every other person in my life the same as me is that they are different I would be able to yeah. I mean ideally apply that same mindset to anything else they interact with whether it's a spider a yeah. lizard a tree you know I love myself enough to know that this thing is supposed to be different it, than me, and it exists because it's supposed to be different for me, so it has a purpose, whether I understand that purpose or not.
0: Exactly right. It's mm-hmm. beautiful.
1: Thanks. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Mr. Justin, you have something uh, or a conception of, of, of consciousness and reality you'd like to share?
2: Oh uh, Well, yeah, it was just something you guys were talking about, like the uh, concept of that totality. Like everything comes together to make a perfect and beautiful whole. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to kind of argue with that. Okay. <laughs> is that it's it's this idea like uh, you see it all all the time with society and politics and things like that that there's a right way for things to be. There's mm. a completeness that there's something that everything is supposed to be, but quite possibly things are just happening. There's not mm. a complete, there's not a total, there's not everything adding up to one final great thing. It's just all sorts of stuff happening at the same time independently and they just have to kind of either work together or fight against each other.
1: Well, if that were true, then how would synchronicity be about? How would we be able to obtain a message, you know, from a spider crossing the road and then look it up on the internet or read it in a book and find, you know, angel number one, three, one, if it was all just randomized like that, how? Well,
2: I'm not saying random. I'm just saying that they don't necessarily, everything doesn't necessarily fit together. It could be not necessarily opposing, but independent things that are happening and that they just kind of are interacting as they interact. So
0: I, I think I, I understand what you're saying, and I think that there's a. Well, I think what you're doing is enunciating a perspective that's very common. I think it's a very common perspective, and it's it's something it's something like. Um, There's a complicated nature to the world and the universe itself. And if you view it, it, if you try to take in the totality of that complicated nature, all of those different cells we were describing, all of those different kind of interconnected things, uh, then you'll seem to try to, you'll you'll, you'll very quickly be overwhelmed by it and then be like, how could it be interconnected? But also not only how could it be interconnected, it'd be something like... um, if it was interconnected we'd never be able to perceive it so that the only reality i can really recognize is that there's a lot of complicated things that are going on that i'm never going to fully know something like that that's a good
2: point yeah too is that like the interconnection is also a matter of perspective exactly he's
1: talking about the level of awareness the level of consciousness that
2: what perspective you're viewing it from yeah yes what i'm saying is there might not be an upper level where you do perceive a connection between everything. I don't. I agree,
0: and I see what you're saying. I don't think there is. That's why I was saying. That's why I think Jordan Peterson was well, talking the about the mystery. The mystery. Well, no, no, no. I. the, so, path, the journey is often the point. Yes. Yeah, so, so, well, I don't think that there's a way in which, in this form, in the uh, physically manifested form, the vessel, the avatar, we could ever reach. A total consciousness in the way that we're looking for or we think about in the human form. Something like the reason we can't know it is because the human form being being embodied is is a restriction of sorts that fundamentally requires you not know that. So it's like it's like you can't have the thing you're looking for until you escape this vessel and it's actually a fundamental aspect of the spiritual awakening is realizing that you're not attached to the vessel so that the way you rejoin the universe is by escaping it which is so usually my- comes through death physical death but it can happen without that as well right and that's so that we never know everything which is what I'm getting to and that's why consciousness is a mystery we'll never know we can't because we can't view it outside mm-hmm. of that because we're finite and fixed
1: my thoughts right go now. far out and beyond into the idea of whatever source is um, needing to uh, understand itself so it forgets itself so it's still connected but disconnected a part of itself and that's what all of these life forms and existences these multiverses are which is why some of them would seem yeah. random and like they're not connected and have yes. no purpose but they actually do and that that that's the function itself yes is that it seems like it has no purpose
0: it's a very good point and i think that's a in to to present i think uh i think that's fairly irrefutable in in response to what you were saying, Justin, is that, is that if that is true, if what we just said and the way we set it up is true, that maybe there's no way we can know it in this reality, that there's nothing to say that there isn't another reality in which that is knowable. And there's nothing that keeps you in this reality. Once you realize that you're not fixed in the way that you think you are and you're not physical so that you can go to those other realities. Now you can go anywhere in the universe now, but you can also go to any of those other cells. Now you can go live as an ant now, if you want to. You can, but you can't do it in the way that you're thinking about it. You can't go physically embody the ant. You're not going to view it that way. You're going to, you're going to experience it in something like a dream f- state in something like an astral travel in a different form of reality. Uh, and so that kind of, rec- the problem is that the in order to recognize that form of travel, you have to let go of the conception that you're only the avatar. It's the fundamental thing. You have to realize you're not the avatar. You are the thing inside of it. You're the thing that's embodying it now. That's it. And that's why you can be taken over. That's why you can be, you know, as we were saying, uh, um, possessed in certain mm-hmm. ways, because it's it really is like a car. That's why we like driving cars, because you're doing a, a larger version. You're Russian nesting doll your, doll yourself. Now there's another layer on top of you, you know, and that's why we're obsessed with Gundam Wing and these kind of big robots that we can control, because you're doing the same thing you're doing now. That's why we're obsessed with VR. You're just about of to say stuff. virtual
1: reality. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's inception. It's all of that, you know. But um, it's clues. It's all things trying to clue you into the fact that this isn't the form of only form of reality. That the form of reality you think is fixed is actually probably not. It's why we love the Matrix.
1: I mean, uh, why else yeah. would uh, would um, Heath Ledger when he tries to embody another perspective, yes. another reality, actually embody it. Embody it actually yep. become it. He took it over. He allowed it to take over him, actually, is probably the proper way to put
0: that. And I've always tried to be delicate with that, because I, in a couple episodes I've said that I think that that's probably what happened with Heath mm-hmm. Ledger, that he messed with something that he didn't mm-hmm. fully understand, and that that probably killed him.
1: I would have to agree with that.
0: Um, that you have to be really careful, especially when you're dealing with the energy he was trying to manifest, which is something like the biggest conception of evil you can have. So it
1: goes to ask you, is yes. the entity real? Yes. Is what he was messing with real?
0: Well, and that's actually maybe this may be a good way to end it. And I don't mean to end it on a dark note, but I'm I'm very curious uh, as a final question on how you guys view this, um, or at least let's have a conversation on it Um, because me and Bethany were talking about this the other day and it's something that's, uh, it's the question of evil, good and evil. And it's the question of whether good and evil actually exists. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what a lot of people will say, especially if uh, if you've been raised in, in the, the Christian faith, like I was, or the Catholic faith, like I was, um, there's a there is a fundamental realization or understanding or acceptance of the existence of good and evil that you uh, appears as a necessity in those religious teachings. I think a lot of religions have this conception, uh, but that is necessary, I think, in order to understand uh, how they're all true. To let go of the the idea of good and evil, because one of the ways it's been used is to segment each of those teachings from themselves. Each, that's why each of the religions fight with themselves, because they've each labeled the other as the evil thing and tricking themselves into thinking that evil actually exists. They've manifested it in the other, ver- the mirror, the version of themselves they don't like to see so that they, they do this on the same thing that the human being has done. Right. Anyway, that being said if you take that idea and you actually think about it long enough, you'll, you'll start to get to, to uh, a fundamental level where you start to look at the archetypes that these conceptions have created evil. What is the ultimate evil, the archetype of it and the name that we usually use is the devil or Lucifer or something, Satan or, or something like that, right? There's different forms of versions of it all the way throughout history, different religions. Uh, but then you have to ask yourself, well, if the conception of evil is just that a conception, then is the, uh, conception we've made of the conception real, right? Is 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 the uh, the way we visualize it real, uh, or is, is that a real entity, or is that a visualization? And the reason it's really hard to answer is because of thing of people. An example is like Heath Ledger. It's like, okay, well, what happened there? What took over Heath Ledger? And I, the way that I'm going to attempt to answer that is something like. Why I said he messed with something he didn't understand fully, I think, and I don't know, I wouldn't be as audacious to welcome that into myself. I don't know this for a fact, but what I think he did was something like enter into a conversation or a dialogue with a certain type of energy, the mirror itself, the fundamental mirror energy in the universe, but did it with the intent of exposing the idea of Lucifer or Satan or the devil or the Joker, right? And so what that happened when you go with the intent of doing something like acting, when what, what you call it method acting, I mean, get lost in that character. You furl on saying like we were doing before we do this podcast intention setting, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be able to take over me fully in this way. Right. And, and then welcoming that energy, whether it's real or not by doing that, guess what you just made. Right. And so you see it, and I think what what Heath Ledger did was a uh, was a certain type of sacrifice, it, it, and it was a, something that we can all learn from. Um, that you have to be really careful with what you welcome into yourself, uh, because uh, even though the conception of a place like hell, uh, I don't believe exists actually existing in that way, and the conception of a at least the way that we've defined it in uh, in this physical world, I don't think. Um, but and the conception of the ruler of that place existing in the way we've defined it. I do think that we can create that if we're not careful, uh, because we have the power to manifest our reality. Anyway, what do you guys think about that?
1: Any thoughts, Justin?
2: Uh, no. Oh well, yes.
1: Okay. Wonderful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, what, what I was talking, uh, what I mean by that is, uh, like you're saying, it's a perception thing of, uh, it's what we manifest.
0: Yes. It's what, and that's what I mean. Uh, I don't I, yes, I, I, I really want to preface or uh, follow that up with, I don't mean to bring anybody down by saying any of those are talking about those energies. Uh, it, it's something like we all need to recognize the positive ways we do that too. Um, you know, let's not focus too much on that kind of a story, but let's focus on the ways in which people can do the opposite uh, people can manifest the exact opposite energy. Let's say, let's keep it in the Western uh, tradition. Let's take the figure of Jesus Christ. Um, the reason whether you believe that the figure himself actually existed or not, the reason that I think the figure itself is important is because it's something like the same thing. Um, if you believe something like a person or an individual can live a life, like the the, the life that Jesus was said to live, then if you really believe it, you're able to manifest that inside of yourself. And oh. so you can accept it in the same way. You can set the intention in the same way.
1: But Jesus is also a symbol just the same way. Exactly. But, you know, well, yeah. t- tattoos on my arm are symbols. And, all- and, and they're used to trigger something every time I, like if I believe in Jesus or the idea of Jesus, the energy of Jesus, or even the physical person, yeah. Jesus, and I, I believe I understand what Jesus represents or what Jesus stood for. Then every time I see Jesus, that's what I'm trying to embody or energetically engage with.
0: Let's go even deeper with that idea too. We talked about the, the archetypes of Jesus and Lucifer, right? Mm-hmm. And the devil. Uh, But what I find interesting is is what I've identified, or at least my understanding at this point, is that um, when I said the mirror, what I meant by that is that uh, my conception is that Jesus and Lucifer are the same thing viewed from different perspectives. Exactly. Uh, And that it's a hard thing to understand, but that what you are afraid of It's the reason why Jesus was a confounding figure in the Bible, why he didn't act or speak in the way that people expected him to, and why he sacrificed himself, is he was trying to show humanity that what they're afraid of manifests the hell they are trying to escape. So that by hanging on a cross, uh, hanging on a cross and dying, um, if you really took that conception of reality, if Jesus weirdly was the embodiment of God, and if... The Jews themselves have been looking for the the return of their 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 savior uh, since the Old Testament, since the time of the of, of the the Ten Commandments. Then they finally got what they asked for, and what did they do with it? They crucified it, right? And so that really is the symbol of Jesus on the cross. It's that uh, you are your own machinomy, you are your own Lucifer, you're your own prison.
2: And you're the thing that makes it in the world too.
1: Your choices are what define it.
2: Well, yeah, and kind of going with that, like the idea of Lucifer. I think the important part of it is that it externalizes what you perceive as your negative qualities. Because, like you say, it's been in all sorts of different religions and cultures and things like that all through time. But it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It has to do with what is perceived as positive and negative. Yes. Mm -hmm. How did it develop? Yeah. Your negative. Feelings and emotion, or quote unquote negative feelings emotions actions behaviors are an external thing yes something that is acting upon not your own choices well so it's important to externalize those things so you can create them as a negative that you can try to get away from because if it's part of you then you gotta deal with it if it's not if it's something that's acting upon you then it's something that you can fight I don't know if I agree with that and and
0: I, do you want to So I don't think I agree with that And the reason I don't agree with that Is because uh, It always is you So what, what When you do that What I think What you're talking about It makes sense in a logical way When you view it in a logical progression Well if something's bad Or something's negative If something's hurting me I need to get away from it Right I need to put distance well, Between that saying. thing it's, and myself It's something you
2: create in your head Oh, I see what you're saying. It's it's not what it is. It's what's perceived. I see. I thought you were actually talking as if that's no, what's no, no, no. happening. Okay, you I need, apologize. You I need to create this external thing in order to have yes, it as it, a thing that you can actually okay. against. <laughs> I was about
0: to argue the point you were just arguing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, okay. it's something
2: that people create. <laughs> it's a... Uh, what is it? Uh, I, I was... This was a joke I used to say when I was a mechanic. Like, I used to yell at the, the, the lot techs because fuck those guys. But, uh... <laughs> People say, "Why are you so mean to them?" It's like, "Well, I can't yell at uh, depression and a lack of fulfillment, but I can yell at that guy." You need something to focus your uh, your uh, uh, your anger and your uh, yeah. your opposition towards. Not,
1: not only that, but to place the blame on it, take the yes. blame off of you. the Yeah, devil you need to relieve it. yourself yes. of, of yeah. that
2: of culpability because it's not like, "Yeah, exactly. It's not me that did it." I wouldn't do that kind of thing. I'm a good person. It also vindicates that. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy with horns and he tells me to do bad things and I don't always recognize it.
0: It also vindicate the existence of it in other people when you act in those ways.
2: Oh, yeah. Too. It's also important to be able to forgive people near you. Yeah, exactly. If, if your brother does something terrible, like if, if a guy down the street does something terrible, you might hate him for it. But if your brother does something, ter- the same terrible thing, well, he lives in your house. It's inconvenient to hate it's a proximity him. proximity thing, you're so right. So you yeah. need to be able to forgive him somehow, and you're like, oh, he didn't choose to do that thing. It was an outside force. Yeah. So you need to be able to give yourself that that excuse both for yourself and for those close to you that you have to be able to forgive.
1: But what people don't take into consideration is even if there was, let's say, an external force, an entity of some sorts that's trying to influence a person in some sort of way that person had to condone it. They had to accept that idea. It goes back mm-hmm. to the thought mm-hmm. thing we were talking about earlier. So the entity may have encouraged, influence, but the person still made the choice. And that's yeah, what yeah. Satan or the devil or Lucifer represents is temptation, which is a form of choice. I am presenting you with an opportunity to choose this or this. And so you can, I'm, and I'm going to, and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to use all of my magnetism and, in in a way where I'm going to lure you to see if your head and your heart are aligned and we're, we're going to see if we can test you um, by, by by encouraging you to do the wrong choice. Where the opposite side, which is like more associated with Jesus, is like, no, don't make the choice that you know is going to go against your own moral, your own light, your own, you know, whatever you're working for in this life, unless it's the choice you want to make. But understand that if it's the choice you make, then you're not going to have these, you know, whatever is offered to you. You're not going to experience this type of life. Or then when you pass away, you're going to experience something like, like hell or heaven, which I believe is, is really just uh, a collection of memories uh, of sorts, a collection of memories based off of the choices you made while you were living. So when I died, it was basically that. I was stuck in this hotel and that's where I decided to spend all my time. I wasn't around my friends or my family. I was trying to help this guy, Baron, who was sick and all that stuff. And that's what I was experiencing when when I passed away. So that was my hell, my hell. And that was what, that was the scariest thing to me was thinking, oh no, I chose to get myself in this position. And then, and then if I hadn't chose to pull myself out of it, the opposite extreme would have been, I would circle and circle and circle and obsess over it. Oh my God, what did I do? And beat myself down. And since time doesn't exist, who knows how much time in the physical world has actually passed before it's too late for me to ever be able to like return to my body at that point.
2: Which also has to do with the perception of consciousness because also, if you just decided you loved that place, then that would be heaven. Exactly. Yeah.
0: what All those also,
1: memories would be it, heaven.
0: It also, you'll start to understand how it connects to the idea of ghosts, too, mm-hmm. and, and why you have the idea of poltergeist and these kind of things, because um, it is, um, you know, you hit on something, you know, real quick there, but you, you've talked about it a couple of times before about your near-death experience, but it's something that you've had a gain a perspective there on one of those doors that we don't usually have a perspective beyond. Uh, and that grants you a certain type of clarity in the purpose of things, right? Yeah. Um, the purpose of these different types of experiences and the roles of those energies you're talking about uh, its what kind of reveals. Um, I guess what I could provide to because I like I said, I am Catholic. Yeah, I was raised Catholic and uh, I still call myself a Catholic because I don't think you need to uh, you don't need to you don't need to stay in the boxes that people place you in. You don't need to. And you can still take the label and change it if you want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the, the, the thing I would hand any other Catholic or Christian out there that maybe is hearing this or listening to this and being like, well, I don't, I'm in that place. And I, that's how I conceptualize the world. And that's how I try to, you know, make myself a better person. It's like, okay, I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but what I would say is there is, a, there's a certain amount of clarity and, and relief you can get when you recognize that the God, the creator, the thing that you believe in created everything and it's something we can all recognize in that and that in doing that you have to recognize uh, that Lucifer, Satan was not a co-creator in that story that it came out even if you conceptualize it in the way you conceptualize it uh, from the source from the God energy so that means that the God source in some ways deemed it fit to be a part of creation it was necessary mm-hmm. it was there for a reason mm-hmm. so that you're not supposed to eliminate it you're not supposed to eliminate it in other people you're not supposed to eliminate it in yourself you're supposed to face it you're supposed to look at it and see what it has to offer you. And what you may notice is in the character of the Joker to to tie it in there, uh, is that the Joker, and I think why it's such a haunting face is because the Joker has this perpetual smile on his face. Yeah. Right? And, and that's a smile that you can see if you've ever been in a dark place. I've seen it in my mind's eye, I've experienced that energy myself. Uh and it's an energy that you can manifest, like I said, I know that. Um but the reason that it smiles is I think because of that because it is this fundamental comedy in life that uh, you were just pointing out um, that you are your own prison keeper and that you hold the key that you're looking for Uh, so that if you want to make a villain out of me out of God out of the universe out of itself then here I am and you'll see a smile every time Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and that's you know again it may sound dark and depressing but it's honestly exactly what will uh, provide you the kind of uh, uh, release that will allow you to walk Uh, that line that you're trying to walk. I truly believe that. Uh, And with that, guys, I I think we're getting pretty much down to it. Do either of you have any more final thoughts? Any other questions you want to go over before we get out of here?
1: Lots of things that I think would be uh, wonderful for another episode.
0: Yes. I think we're going to be doing a lot more of this. Uh, I want to take a second and really thank both of you, uh, Bethany and Jessen, for coming on here. Um, This has been a really good conversation. This is exactly what I was hoping it would be, a really in-depth conversation into kind of the meaning of life, the nature of consciousness, and reality. Uh, and these are the kind of conversations that we're going to have more of coming to you listeners. Uh, there's going to be more engagement with other people, um, even though I do still like to get on here and kind of just spew my mind out for you every once in a while. I think it's much more beneficial to bounce ideas off of people as you, as you've just listened to. Um, there's a depth to it that I can't get to by myself. Nobody can. And I hope that that at least you can take that and apply it in your life, Uh, that you need to have more of these kind of conversations in your life. You need to think philosophically and engage with, like Justin was saying, the people in your immediate vicinity. If you can't have an effect on yourself, you can't have an effect on those people, how would you expect to do anything else in the world? It's a very hard question to ask yourself, but it's one that needs to be asked nonetheless. That being said... We will be back at it very soon with more content for all of you. And I'm wishing you all a very good morning, evening, night. Whenever you're listening to this, uh, lots of love. And we'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.